everyone. This is Nick Castle, better known as The Shape. And you are listening to the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast. And Greg, I'm right out your window. in and out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that celebrates the entire catalog of Susan Sontag. My name is Greg D. <laughs> I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, we're slamming to some Slayer as we delve even deeper into the mouth of March Madness as we welcome two of our favorite podcasts to talk the surviving horror classics from our 1990 bracket. And you don't need to tight roll your jeans to listen into our show. Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played. Hit subscribe. And when we drop our latest episode, we'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your gag hole. And if you're out... <laughs> I should have anticipated something along those lines. And if you're gacking out on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at Nightmare Junk and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And of course... It is on the Book of Face where we have a little events tab, which leads to... Shenanigans! Ooh, this is going to be shenanigans. But as we are adv- recording we way in advance... We don't know what shenanigans will be, but there'll be shenanigans. The shenanigans will be on the events tab, but more importantly, yep. on all social media, we will have our bracket, because indeed... Yeah, you're going to play along. you got to play along with the home game. And make sure if you are sending in your bracket, show your work. Absolutely. Tell us how the films get to where they are. That's part of the fun here. And uh, speaking of continuing to show our work, we do continue on into the round of the Scream 16 here with four films from 1990 Mm -hmm. that, again, had we recorded these other episodes beforehand, we could be talking other films, potentially, but we are talking these four. And as you know, in the round of the Scream 16, we invite some of our... People that we look up to, you know, people that we respect, uh, be they some of the local film critics, podcasters, people that we genuinely love and adore. And unfortunately, we couldn't find any of them. So we have this particular individual here. Um, that's <laughs> I, I, I wondered about that introduction there. I, I wasn't sure where it was going, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, this this is not going to be for me. They this this is going to be a a, a, what, a a Rodman Flender uh, movie crypt type thing. <laughs> who right. who who dropped out that I became the guest? Honestly, man, you know we love you and adore <laughs> you. Uh, he is the host of Terror Tuesday at our local Alamo Draft House. He is also the host of a podcast called Horrorversary. Please welcome back to Nightmare Junket and into the mouth of March Madness. Adrian Torres. I feel like I've been here recently. I, I feel like you've been here before. Maybe. Yeah, you, you came at night. Let's just get it out of the way. <laughs> I, I was being good and civil. Okay, we, we've made it. It's, it's just a couple minutes in. I was civil. I didn't bring anything up. We're okay? not even two so, minutes in, and you can cut and the, the tension. And the goading begins. Are the knives are out. Uh, <laughs> but no, I was going to say. I, I know that this episode's going to be coming. Um, in the in the future weeks, you know, in the future, it will be released it on March fourteenth. Okay. So as you know, since you are tied yeah. into Terror Tuesday, yeah, what will be coming up that following Tuesday? Oh, there, that following Adrian. Tuesday, that's that's going to be. I believe that's going to be our um, St. Patrick's Day <gasps> so showing. Are, and we're wait, just talking is, of wait, which it works for wow. for mentioning uh, Rodman Flender because uh, we are going to be showing Leprechaun too. Yes. Nice. Yeah. And you know what? I will say this as someone that also hosts movies. And Where's this and me gourd? I like how you're milking the, we're not going to the hood. We're not, not going, going to, to space. space. 
I genuinely enjoy that because it's been a couple weeks and I'm like, write it in. Ah, there it is. There, yeah. I, I like that. I it's, like that. No, no, cause it's Because, I mean, that was one of the big decisions of which one do we do. Right. And there's so many nowadays. But I, I you have people who want those, who want to go, go to space, to the hood, or back to the hood. But I, I still think... I'm a, I'm a hood guy myself. You, the one thing that everybody remembers for the first one is, of course, Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. And then the second and, one, and Francis. Francis. Don't yes. forget Francis. I won't forget Francis. Don't forget Francis. He he ties in, I think, to the most recent one that was in. They they brought him back. Yeah, uh, but the second one is is where it's like, no, now we're putting the focus on on Warwick Davis, and and now we're going to have the the kills, and we're going to be building him up. So what we wanted to go back to where it started there. And so it, it's it's, it's going to be lots of fun. I mean, March is going to be. I'm kind of sad that we're doing that. But that's going to be the date this is coming out because it's the beginning of the month that I'm so excited for. Because at at the start of month, which everybody missed, is that that we did Frenzy from Alfred Hitchcock. Well, it will have played already. It will play it great will. and wonderful. It'll be great. So, and you know that's going to be my first time watching it. So I'm anxious that, for it. That, that, that's why I'm choosing it. It yeah. doesn't it doesn't matter when this is coming out. But if you haven't had a chance to see Frenzy, go back and watch it because he's trying. To kind of make a film that's more in tune with the times of the 70s and stuff that you're getting at kind of the, you know, that point in the 70s. But he's still he's Alfred Hitchcock. So he he has these classic shots. So classy 42nd Street. Exactly. And so one one of my favorite scenes of all time is in that film. You've mentioned this now like multiple weeks. So you're really hyping this up. I'll mention this to you because it'll have already played at the time. But there's a scene where he doesn't show the kill. You you see the person, you know, the person who's in the house and you see the person, you know, is doing the killing goes into the house. But then instead, when every other movie would try to go in or would cut in and would show you, you know, in gory graphic detail, everything that's happening, he pulls the camera back from the building still on the street and you can hear everything that's going on, but he's still pulling back away from it. And it's just this beautiful tracking shot where you can hear and you 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 feel worse because you know what's going on and yeah. you can hear it, but he's just framing it. And then the guy who's done the killing just walks out and walks off and then it goes to the next scene. You're like, wow, only somebody who is like a, a master of cinema is like, this is what I want to do because it's easy to go. He knows it's easy to go in and give you exactly what you want. And by giving you, you know, you know, the, the killing or, or whatever it's going to be. But because he has that reserve, you're like. Holy crap! That's so good. I mean, nice. I, I, yeah, but of course. But while Adrian, it blew my mind. It was everything you said it was. Thank you <laughs> there for that. You go. Absolutely. But I'll, I'll say this. You know what's going to be my first time watching? What? Leprechaun Two. Oh, oh yeah. I've never seen Leprechaun Two. Really? And I'm, I know my mind will already been blown. So thank you for that. <laughs> but honestly, thank you f- and Amber both for Terror Tuesday. Yeah. Um, we, we we love doing it. We promote the hell out of it because, like I said, I'm not only a member, but ultimately, you know, I'm there every Tuesday. And, and occasionally we can get Jay to come out of his cave. Well, so that's, when, when, when we're not blood, blood rage. Yeah, that's, <laughs> but uh, I will Lannisters. say the thing that I really liked that you guys have added are the vintage trailers. And as we're thank, recording thank, this. Thank Agfa for that. Because that's. Thank you, Agfa. Yeah. Because last week when you guys screened Dracula, which yes. was wonderful and as dirty as Genius remembers, definitely. <laughs> but they played a trailer called Lola's Mistake. And 
it sets such a weird tone because is that when she pees on the floor (laughs) (laughs) you've seen this trailer because it is featured in trailer wars it is the black and white one that is the it takes a turn where it looks like it's kind of an anti like a rebellious anti-teen film yeah and then you throw the boobs in automatically like damn that got dirty (laughs) (laughs) but it's one of those kind of those trailers so we did that last week which actually kind of Apparently, I think there was supposed to be another one that's supposed to play after that, yeah. but it didn't. But it actually played pretty nicely into Dracula because it is so dirty. But the one that played before My Bloody Valentine, oh. holy smokes, <laughs> is the trailer from Trailer Wars. And it's the trailer that finishes that entire compilation. It's yeah. the one that ends with such a bang. Do you remember Thunder Cops? The trailer for that one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It, it was. It came up, and I immediately. I don't think I squealed, but I was just so giddy. Just the floating heads and the helicopters, and the and audience it, was didn't know what to know. And once everything ended, once the, the and the blood flows and the explosion, there was a few spattering applauses. So I was so happy. It was such a great just transition. And, yeah. and again, had nothing to do no. with my bloody Valentine. But it's 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 to get you amped up. It. Mission accomplished, my yeah. friend. I don't know if I'm the target audience for that, but between the pre-show <laughs> and those trailers, man, it just sent me inside. And then, of course, my bloody, bloody Valentine playing. Was, oh, on getting to have it on the big <gasps> on screen. one. Yeah, I was so happy we're in one. Whenever we can play in one, yeah, it's grand. Because oh yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah. And I forgot you get Canadian Crazy Ralph. Yep, Canadian Jenna Fisher. You get um, Cana- uh, Canadian. Oh God, I Canadian just... Shelley for the most part, because Howard is kind of the prankster. Fuck that hosiery. <laughs> Canadian Oliver Reed. Yes, you. Can... TJ so... definitely is. It's uh, you get a Canadian Ascot. Oh, you get more dogs than you hey, remember. Canadian Ascot for... is that when I, you I was... like get bacon on your show? <laughs> I, I was for... going to say the Ascot is is universal. It's international. It is forever. That's fair. But no it's... one owns it. No one can contain it. Dude, I was just talking to somebody I, today. Canadian horror is fucking rad, man. Yeah. Well, that, that's it, a weird... There's some good, good shit. We were talking about the fact that um, for My Bloody Valentine, one of the writers of the film did an uncredited uh, rewrite on Happy Birthday to Me, which is the same year as My Bloody Valentine. Yeah. And it's also a Canadian slasher film. Yeah, those that tax shelter produced yep, some right? wonderful Canuck's things. The, the, the fruits, uh, the fruits yeah. of the labor. Mwah. No, it's exactly. been wonderful and phenomenal, and I just appreciate you guys doing that because yeah. it gives me something to look forward to early on in the week, which is wonderful in and of itself. But like I said, I challenge all of our listeners that you come out and stay out late with us on Tuesday. Yeah. It is well worth your time because the amount of films I've been able to see on the big screen thanks to Terror Tuesday at this point, is ridiculous. And and then, if if you're, you know, a wonderful, wonderful soul, make sure you get decent sleep for every other week on Wednesday. You've got Film Club with, with this kind gentleman over here. <laughs> I'm helping plug you. Oh, yes. We get weird. Oh. We get weird at Film Club. We got a, we got a wonderful, dysfunctional family. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, again, we've got the film family. That's one yeah. thing we stress about here on the show, and it's... Whether you're a filmmaker, whether you're a film fan, mm-hmm. just come out, enjoy it, celebrate it, and all are welcome. It's the best part. And, and now we have to fight against each other. Well, of course. Well, again, yeah. again yeah. We, no, you know what? To the I, battles. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really. You know, it's just one of those things. You bust the balls of your friends. It's just it's yeah. a, it's a good thing. Well, oh, yeah. as, as, I, as I like to say, it's something that you know, it's 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 in our genes. It's in our DNA. You can almost say that it's hereditary. Ah, but only during Midsummer. <laughs> Transitioning over to, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about Horrorversary, yeah. uh, because it is the 
perfect podcast for Into the Mouth of March Madness. Thank you. Well, Thank you. because we put Into the Mouth of March Madness together because we ultimately thought we should celebrate these films that are celebrating decades of horror. Yeah. And then Horrorversary is a podcast that is all about. Yeah. So tell it, us a little, for any of our first time listeners and not familiar with the show, how would you break down Horrorversary? I, 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 it's the, the, the same way that I always do, which is. I keep it simple by saying that it's a podcast celebrating horror movies, celebrating anniversaries. And we don't do any of the piddly like, oh, we're doing 42 years. Oh, we're doing 25 years. We're, we're keeping it just on the milestones, 10s, 20, yep. 30, 40, 50, sometimes 60 or 70, depending, because horror has always been a part of cinema. And it always kind of either influences change that you see in films or it's being um, it's something that's, you know, it, you're seeing the times of the world. Oh yeah. Reflected. It's, yeah. yeah. It's definitely the subtext of the film or the reason why they're making it. And for when I first started podcasting years ago, I was focusing on the negative, like not, not in a, how did this get made? Oh, let's have fun. But like, let's find the worst films that, that are out there. Um, and it was just like, no, I, I love film enough. I want to celebrate it. Certainly. And I don't always feel the most comfortable having it like just be me for a long period of time. So I, I wanted to develop a show that was not only celebrating these films, but then was celebrating the guest. Yeah. And so Horrorversary, we, I have the same five basic questions that I ask every single guest who comes on and the conversation goes from there. And it's basically a glorified Gus session. And so whoever the guest is, you guys have been on a mm-hmm. couple times. Um, I've had Katie Wright from the AV club. I've had Heather Wixon on from uh, daily dead. I've had both horror queers hosts on now. Um, I had Rob Hunter doing Scarecrows at one point. Uh, one of my favorites uh, was Megan Navarro doing The Blob 88. But I've, I've had just a whole bunch of, of mix of uh, podcasters and film critics. And this year I'm going to have a couple of filmmakers who are on trying to branch out there. But it's just about these people and the love for this horror film that they have. And so you're able to get into a deep discussion about both the mechanics of yep. it, what it is about that makes these movies stand out, that, that stand the test of time. And and so it's just fun getting to see these people, you know, just talk about, oh, my God, I remember the first time that I watched this or this is my favorite scene. So it's it, it's nice. And then the episodes aren't really that long. They I think it's about like between 40 minutes to like maybe an hour and 15, depending upon. It's a perfect time for a podcast for me. It's when you break into the two and a half hour, three yes. hour ones that I'm just like, oh, I got to figure out. I got to like take Lola for a really long walk <laughs> on those days. But you, you, you've got the screen draft, mega drafts, and you're like, what? I, I need to, to I, take the day off. Of I work. can handle <laughs> on those. Those are definitely that is that's a cleaning the house kind of podcast yes. day. Yes. Uh, but ultimately, let's go back uh, 30 years. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, this is totally a timestamp here. But you just released the episode we did guest on. Yeah. Uh, where we talked Richard Stanley's hardware, hardware from the year of 1990, which was an honorable mention yeah. into the mouth of March Madness. <laughs> and unfortunately, one we're not talking about here in the round of the Scream 16. Um, but it was wonderful to talk, number one, to talk about that film. Yeah. Um, and again, number two, the fact that we're able to see it in the theater, not just a week ago. Bathed when we red. recorded yeah. it. Yes. Exactly. I mean, that's one of the great things about one of the films that we're going to talk to uh, about tonight is that in January, I got a host a screening of one of these movies, not terror Tuesday that we were just doing it because it's like, Hey, it's the 30th anniversary. How many people are going to come out for it? And we had a packed house and everyone is going nuts for it. So that's, 
maybe maybe that'll color one one of the discussions that we have because I had that theatrical experience with the but, film. So, but I'll say a through line to the podcast through the way we all host though is that communal experience mm-hmm. and yeah. how it shapes your relationship with yeah. these movies. Yeah. And that's the other thing that we talk about on the show. We have relationships with these films, whether, oh, yeah. you, whether you want to admit it or not. But man, all four of these films. I go back with yeah and, and, and I think but I think that's a, just a testament to if you live in a town doesn't matter if you have an Alamo draft house or if you have um, a, a local indie theater that does like we do at Screenland exactly that does repertory screenings go out to it for mm-hmm. that experience I mean mm-hmm. one of we're, we're early in the year and one of my favorite moments was the the final terror Tuesday that we had of January was a mystery 35 millimeter oh, 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 yes. film. We sold it out. We we were basically ninety five percent sold, like by Christmas time, and we put this out in like I think it was like end of November. So in less than a month, we were basically sold out and just had a couple seats. No one knew what it was going to be, and when I announced was what it was, I then said, "Okay, who hasn't seen this film?" Like, and about ninety five percent of the theater's hands went up, and it was near dark, and so all these people hadn't seen it. And they had an amazing time. Like the nice. The print itself so had character. Good. And another yeah. shout out to Megan in the booth because that's a film that you need a little grit on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was just enough where it gave it the character where it wasn't an impossible. No, yeah, not yeah. at all. No. And Megan's gotten so goddamn good in there that I'm not going to lie. And I'll just admit this because she won't <laughs> listen to the show. But I get such anxiety when I know there's a real switch coming. Yeah. And that's because I'm rooting and because she's a goddamn artist at this point. I'm just every time, <laughs> shoom, shoom. And it's like, oh, I, I need to stop worrying. But that's just that's innate in me. But man, yeah, that people that, that film, the, just mm, the response that mm, they had. It was great. The, the fact that you had that Ow. many people, you had that many people who were coming to a film that they had no idea what it was. Right. In January. Also, shout out to Nick, Nick Spacek coming in from an Inspired by podcast, yeah. drove in from Lawrence because he, of the allure. I, yeah, because he, he was like, is this is this worth it? And I'm like, I'm not going to tell you what it is, <laughs> but I definitely think it is. And afterwards, he came up to me, put it, put his animation. It was worth it. Like, As someone nice. that loves him, some that, so Tangerine like, yeah. Dream, you know he's gonna. Yeah, no, exactly. It was, I think he was the one person in front who clapped when Tangerine Dream came up on there. So, <laughs> again, the communal experience—it's exactly. wonderful. Well, let, let's talk then about yeah. some of these films that we have in the round of the Scrim Sixteen for the year of nineteen ninety. Good representation, I think. Um, a little bit of kind of some blockbusters. A little bit of like. Indie films. <laughs> a little bit off, off the TV. A <laughs> little bit of hoedowns. There, oh, yeah, we'll get to that. So we're going to start off with you our first matchup. <laughs> Looking for some action? Yep. Got and any money? That's what we're going to start with. Is oh, no. We're going, no, let's do it. Let's go. We have Tremors going up against Frankenhooker. Uh-huh. Ooh. Technically Super two, crack. two monster movies? Yeah. yeah. Sort of? Yeah. Super yeah. crack and the graboids. Right, right. So which one will we grab first? Uh, Adrian, start us off. What should we talk? But Tremors or Frankenhooker? Now, now, I'll admit, Tremors was that one that I was talking about that I hosted, so I got to have that big screen experience, and Tremors played amazingly. And that's what's crazy about some of these movies is you have a film like Tremors that it has a huge legacy. It had a TV show. They had, what, five, six sequels? Six now. Yeah. Genius has seen them all. Mm-hmm. Well, they, I mean, you got Jamie Kennedy in the last two. Right. So I that. liked it. The snow <laughs> Tremors, the snow Graboids. Yeah, yeah I dug it. in hell. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it... It was. It didn't make the money that they thought it was going to be when it came out. Part of that might be that even today, Kevin Bacon refers to it as a funny, scary film. Not a horror comedy, a funny, scary film. Because horror still has the stigma. Exactly. But you watch it, and it's just, it's so goddamn fun. It's, it's, it's 
perfection. It yeah. is perfection. It's, perfection. it's a horrible it's, pun, but but, it's no, what, but it works. I mean, it's exactly what you want from a film like that where you're keeping down, relatively keeping down the budget because you don't have a huge cast. You just have these people. But you got a good cast. It's exactly. Like, yeah. It's like come for the bacon, but stay for the rest, you know? So it's yeah, like... Th- there's everybody... Every You know all these characters. I think there's maybe only two characters that we don't really get a sense of. But you know? we still know their plight, you know. Exactly. Like, mm-hmm. Even the guy that gets sucked in the tire, we hear shit about him. <laughs> but we know he's a hardworking man, you know. Yep. He he loves his family in America, you know. And so, like, for him to go out in the tire, <laughs> and also like that kid needed to go. Oh yeah. Like, and, yeah. It, it's but, rough. It's rough. So you hosted. It was a movie party, was it not? Yeah, it was a movie party. So for ultimately, the anniversary. movie parties are a little bit different. What you guys? What you guys give away for the movie party? Um, there was a, a lighter, of course, because <laughs> you, you you need to have that. Yep. We, I'm trying to remember what everything. Crabboids. Oh, we we had candy cigarettes. That's funny. <laughs> because I was saying we were promoting the candy part, and not the cigarette part. Of course, of course. Um, we had the thing that everybody was so excited about. And penetrating was, elephant gun. Uh, if only. But it doesn't penetrate the the dirt. No, that's right. I can't even get any penetration with the elephant gun. Oh, that, that's because they want a date. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> it was a, a keychain replica of the license plate. Really nice. Yeah, that's pretty rad. That's what everybody was excited about. And then we had a whole bunch of the poppers. Oh, okay. Of course, so, it, for it, the goo, for yeah. the yeah. As, Multiple as I say, points. when you feel that moment hits you, and the funny thing is, about movie parties is it's kind of a a hive mentality in a way, like a wave. So there's a certain part where there might be an explosion. One person does it. Everybody's like, oh, this oh, is a really pop, good time. So when you I'm have... I'm out of poppers. Can you have... You get one. <laughs> but the movie party environment's different than a normal element, and that's what some yeah, people don't still, understand. It's a lot of fun. I mean, I mean, half the audience raised their hands and said they'd never seen it before. So. Wow. wow. So, yeah. That's... So I think it was just that Tremors was playing on the big screen, and they wanted to take a chance with it because they'd heard about it. Yep. Because yeah. Tremors is wonderful. Tremors is, is rad. Tremors. Did you, did you actually? Did you remember seeing that in the theater by any chance? Do you remember your first time seeing it? See, I I, I know that I rented it at the video store. Okay, okay. That's that's what I remember. Because that I mean that was kind of a weird blockbuster or a mom and pop. A blockbuster. Okay, blockbuster. Yeah, because that w- that was a weird point and like things that were going on in my family and stuff. So we weren't making it out to the theaters as much. Uh, but I was able to rent a whole bunch of stuff, and so that was a film that I definitely rented because it was still PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. Yes, so I could get it under That's, at the time. So, well, and again, it's I went to the theater. I remember I saw it was at the Dollar Show. Oh, so at Indian Springs yes. had the first run, and then once the first <laughs> runs were done, they went upstairs to the Dollar Show, and so I saw it at the Dollar Show, and I was like, "This movie is great!" And so like fantastic and like first time experience and i was just yeah. like the monsters are cool you know it, i mean it's something like it, of course that makes sense there's underground monsters you know there's big worms in the sand so they're and it still holds up yeah you yeah. know that's just it how were people reacting especially because the effects that's the thing oh, that yeah. really the, the the brains and the helmets oh gnarly so gnarly so good all the all the sheep intestines and everything and then when they reveal the face scary legit scary. that's exactly. like a jaws-esque scare Ultimately, and that's, I mean, if you look at the DNA of this film, it's very much a Jaws-esque film. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But it's, it's they, they maximize the area they're in, mm-hmm. just the desolation. You minimize, I mean, it's a it's a, just a small looking set for the most part. It looks like they literally yeah. went out in the middle of nowhere. Put but, together but that's this, what makes it great, too, because the cinematography is fantastic. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's so good. It, it, it seems like such a, a silly thing to, to point out, but what? that that uh, <laughs> that rock vaulting scene. 
It's just having having the jaunty music, but having the widescreen so you can have all them at the, all same time. At the same time. Yeah, and then seeing when the times changed a little bit, and they have more of the the shadows that are on them as they're doing it. It's just it works really well. I'm looking up the uh, the DP here because got to make sure we <laughs> we live in that day and age where we we have that at our. If it's somebody so who ahead. deserves a shout out, you can give them a shout out. Well, of course, but that would be then, Alexander Grzynski. Who shot other films such as The Craft? Oh, ah, which of course everyone loves that. But no, yeah, yeah absolutely. That makes and that's, sense. That's the secret to a lot of these films as well is just the collaborative effort of everyone involved. Because we went, this was initially a ensemble yeah. for us, mm-hmm. uh, just because of just the character actors involved, but the craft involved with the special effects, the cinematography. The music itself, just everything works. It, it's the definition of jaunty, right? Yeah. It, and it's a good balance between the horror and the comedy. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And because the horror, the tension, like, oh, shit, that grab boy's going to get that little girl. Better save him, <laughs> Kevin Bacon. You know? So it's like. And that moment, I got to ask, when when Kevin Bacon gets to do the F you to the yeah. graboid. How I, the, oh, everyone in the audience just goes, fuck you. Such a grand moment. Such I mean, a grand moment. It's more awkward when half the audience knows what's coming and the other half of the audience is just no, like, what no. is going on? Right. Oh, but but they I found the ass ended. end. <laughs> <laughs> Immensely quotable as well. So final thoughts on Tremors before we turn <laughs> our attention speaking to Frankenhooker. Speaking of ass end. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's Tremors. Tremors. You can't really say... You it's, know, I, I think you, I, you can you can dislike it, but you know what? You're probably a terrible person <laughs> and dead inside if you do. So you could dislike it, but you'd be wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't. I can't think of, of. I don't know of anybody who was like, "Man, fuck tremors." You know yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, like, because I know we. I mean, even amongst you two, films are very divisive. But yeah, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone that Man, says, tremors is some bullshit. Now I understand if they say that about maybe some of the other sequels. Exactly, your opinion is your own. I happen to enjoy all of them, but I'm yeah, I'm 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 scrolling through my my letterbox on it for which has you know a whole bunch of podcasting friends and and critic friends, and the lowest score I see from anybody is one three and a half star. Okay. Yeah. Everything else it's is like, is four and a half or five. Can't hate on tremors. So let's let. I mean, it's tremors. That, that's all you got to say. It's tremors. If the only people who don't like tremors are people who haven't watched tremors yet and are yet to like to it. enjoy it. The the soon to be converted. Exactly. Well, speaking of conversions, let's go over into Frank Henenlotter's Frankenhooker. Winner of the Henenlotter Hoedown. Winner of the Henenlotter Hoedown. See, and that's the thing. You have a Monsemble winner versus yeah. something distinctly the director, you know? so But ultimately, both play as horror, horror comedies. comedies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that being said, Adrian, your thoughts on Frankenhooker. Frankenhooker is a a crazy film. I mean, I mean that, that's, <laughs> that's the, saying it lightly, dude. <laughs> exactly, but it's such it's a weird movie to kind of wrestle with when you're thinking about it, especially when it comes to like the the output of um, of Hen and Lauder, uh, and that's because it's kind of fractured, fractured. That I'd say does that make sense? Yeah. If it's fractured, because it it has that feeling. Like I I love it, parts of it. <laughs> Because it's it's a film it's it's an eighty five minute film that feels like twenty to twenty five minutes have been cut out of it, which is fair. Well, yeah, given the Frankenstein Frankenstein nature of the yeah. film, it fits in totally. But I mean, it's it's a it's a film that that has three acts when it feels like there should be four acts yeah. in there because it feels like that there's something that's missing in it. And if you 
if you jump in on its level, because it feels like an oh my god, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, a Herschel Gordon Lewis Lewis mixed with John Waters is the best way to describe <laughs> this film. Herschel Gordon Waters. Yeah, but but I mean, because it, it does have that. Because you think you yeah. think, you think about the gore, the explosions, the the over the top nature, it, and then you think about. Hey, I mean, yes, some of them are are his stable of character actors, but you think about the comedy that is in there. It doesn't. It feels like um, cry, which it's around this time, the crybaby era mm-hmm. of John Waters. So it, it kind of has those DNAs, but at the same time, it feels like there's just like a step off. I enjoy it. But it feels like there's there's a step off. And the reason why I mention that is I'll always mention this film just so I'm like not one of the few people in the world that have seen it. But uh, Bad Biology, mm-hmm. which was one of uh, Henelotter's last films, actually has more of a structure and a plot than this one. And that one's gonzo because it, it deals with these two completely crazy people. I mean, the main character of that film has a giant detachable penis that has a life of its own that in the middle of the night is going off and killing people. He does have a motif. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, but, but there's but there's more of a there's more of a, a structure to that story, at least in cohesion. I, I don't think that the set pieces are as well as what's in Frankenhooker. And so that's what's kind of strange to see. In that movie he's he's got the plotting. He's he's got it working out. It feels like a cohesive whole he just doesn't have the money to do what he wants. Whereas this, you can tell that he has money to get things these things off. But somewhere in in the either in the editing stage or, or in the script stage, didn't feel like it it fully coalesced. Well, I think Severin has a Blu-ray of this out that I definitely need to seek out because okay. I would like to find out what happens yeah. with that. Because I think we've mentioned before, you know, for Hen and Lauder, and obviously of a man that's you know got detachable penis. Right, uh, we've got Aylmer. And that's that's just half of it when it comes to that movie. Right. It's so funny because this film is more... It's the family-friendly Hen and Lauder. It's the one, like, the one that you can, like, dip your toe into Hen and Lauder before you get into Basket Case, before you get into Bad Biology. Well, and it's really funny, rewatching it, um, I noticed a couple of things. Number one, you you know who his mother is in the film, right? Yeah, genius. Who is it? Can you say her name correctly? I thought so. <laughs> L- L- Louise. Had... L- L- um... You can do it. <laughs> Come on. Louise. She... Uh, Louise Lasser. There it is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, was, I wanted to say Louise Lannister. <laughs> Louise like, Lasseter. I know. Louise Lasseter was right there. And I was like, <laughs> oh, man. So <laughs> Frankenhooker. So Dr. Todd Frankenhooker. <laughs> but that was that. And also the pimp Zorro. Yep. The Pimp Zorro is the shower guy from Brain Damage. Yeah, uh, I, again those <laughs> the Hen Lauder's table. But it was so nice when I and realized the, uh, the the what's it called the the apartment whatever the play, hotel place is set up exactly like the hotel and basket, basket case. case. He again he's got his 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 universe that he plays in and he plays in it well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It just in terms of looking at as a horror comedy, did that work for you at all? So, I mean, it's a film that you have to buy in on basically directly right away. Because, like, when you your first <laughs> it scene... It opens up with a wedding day massacre, yeah. lawnmower massacre. Well, but, but it's not even the lawnmower part. It's not even that. I mean, that's fine on its own, but it's Jeffrey himself. Like, you, you have to buy in yeah. Yeah. to Jeffrey because if you're not on board and you're like, I don't really like this guy, well... Too bad. It'll be a long 75 minutes. Exactly, because he's in the majority of the film. He's got, if you don't buy into Jeffrey, 
then this one's going to be a complete wash to you. So I think that's kind of which I, I'm thankful for that he does that because it's the litmus test because he gets crazier from there. But but that performance, the mannerisms, the the voice, um, his hair and everything, <laughs> it's it, it's it's building a character. But it also lets you know this is what the film is. If, if you're not totally on board with it, you might you might be better off. Well, well, that can't be said with all of Hannah and Lauder. Well, well, I, I know, I mean, but, I'm, <laughs> but, but I'm saying just because you spend so much time. Yeah, with, no, I mean, with him, exactly. You're a hero, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, exactly. So so if you're not really sure about that character, then you're you're fine, you know, kind of taking a break because there, there are the side characters and stuff in, in, the, in the other movies. Man. Well, I was going to say in, in the other Hannah and Lauder films, you do have have side characters that you can be drawn to and paying attention to. But Frankenhooker doesn't really have that. Because just when you think that there might be a, a side character who's in it for a few minutes, oh, they're gone after five. Yep. They, they explode off the screen. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> well, and then talk about uh, Patty Mullen's performance, especially if you want to talk about mannerisms and everything. <laughs> what sh- the the amount of like... Physicality that oh, she does with her face. Very Jim Carrey-esque. That last third of the film, <laughs> is, the physicality carries it for me. Yeah. and that, It's funny. It, that's I've, just it. That's, to me, the peak of the comedy hits between that and... <laughs> And then the and then the abominations, the, those yeah, like the, body parts, those the Cronenberg, yes, yeah, that, that the, Cron- the Cronenberg kids, <laughs> the, the the brood rejects, yeah, yeah. ten million strong <laughs> and, and growing, growing together. together. Yep, there you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think a, a strange way to describe this tone would be if uh, USA Up All Night was on Cinemax. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, also, sadly, if this was a USA all night, they'd have to cut enough out that the movie would probably only be about 45 minutes that, long. That, that, that's what I'm saying. It would have to be like the special one they did on Cinemax yeah. for that one so grand all scene that's... And I, well, and then ultimately the ending I've always enjoyed as well, just yeah. the turnabout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is... It's like you... This film was 1990. I, I know there's plenty of times that you have to say... Another time. Another, another place. place. Ooh, there we go. But I mean, that's why watching it, it's like, ooh, this this scene would have if this came out now, it couldn't. Be, yeah, people would be writing about this scene. Frankenhooker would get canceled. Yes, but ultimately, Henan Lauder does a lot of that in his films. I mean, famously, when we're watching Brain Damage for the first time yeah. after the infamous BJ scene, <laughs> yep. Genius says, "This will never be a Monday mystery movie." Exactly. So I mean, he definitely has a particular taste, but ultimately. As much as we admire both of these films, only one can go into the round of The Hateful Eight, and we have two bits of criteria that we're going to look at in terms of showing our work here. And the first one, of course, because we're we're lazy, (laughs) I should just say, we're going to ask which of the two films is closer to your heart. Closer to the heart. Not too bad. Not too bad. (laughs) Getting there. Hey, we're bringing back the Canadians. Ah. Always going back to the Canadians. And then secondly, if you were to remove one of these films... Which one would leave 1994? So we're going to go ahead and start this off. Adrian, Tremors, Frankenhooker, which one is closer to your heart? I, I apologize to Hendon Lauder because of the fact that throughout my life, when he puts something out, I will go check it out because it's always going to have something interesting. It's always going to have something different. There's going to be a different way that the humor is coming out because it's it's Hendon Lauder. You know, the, the fact that Bad Biology came out when it did in 2000, I'll, I'll check it in a second. But the fact that he was still trying to make his type of movie at a point that so many directors, once they got on into like the, the VOD age and stuff like that, are like, I have to change everything that I'm doing, that he was still doing the same movie. Himself. 
I, I, I go out and see that. But you're putting this up against Tremors. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so it's like, let's put it this way. If this was Sophie's Choice, the film would have been about 30 seconds long. <laughs> you. <laughs> and then Roll Christmas credits. time. <laughs> yeah, because I... Frankenhooker is fun. There's a lot that's in it. I mean, still that the the crazy super crack scene. <laughs> <laughs> just, the, we're, we're the price of admission. Exactly. It's just from from Jeffrey's response when the commentary that he's making on everything, like being like, "Oh no, you shouldn't do that. Don't do so much." And the two women start kissing. He's like, "No, that's not natural. You can't do that. Your bodies aren't made for that." And then, boom! Everybody starts exploding. Yeah, it's a great scene, and there there are funny moments. But again, it's it's Tremors. Tremors. Tremors has it all, and Tremors <laughs> has the the special sauce of it being PG thirteen. Yeah. So yeah. you can easily have it be one of those gateway horror films. Because <laughs> f- family friendly Hen and Lauder yeah, is still, still Hen and Lauder. Yeah. <laughs> it's still. I mean, I, and so that's, so that that's that's what I really like about Tremors, and that that's why I have to put it up. I feel bad doing it. Hey, so. no, you're showing your work, man. That's yeah, what absolutely. That's, that's the thing. That's where the madness comes from. Mm-hmm. So we do have a vote for Tremors. Genius. Uh, for the closer to the heart, I got to go. Tremors. I mean, it's so funny. It's so quotable. I remember seeing it in the theater for the first time. Just the the, the the legacy it lived on. While the Head and Water <laughs> movies, there's a whole legacy there too. Yeah. And it is the winner of the hoedown. But Tremors. <sighs> Tremors is is the one for me. So, if we're talking pure nostalgia, again to the heart, I I can't deny myself. I've seen Tremors more, saw it in the theater. Again, love Frankenhooker. It's a yeah. film I can yeah. kind of throw on pretty much whenever I want because it is brief. Love that. But Tremors, it's in it's in the town. It's mm-hmm. perfection. So I've got to go with Tremors as well. Now that being said, interesting question: If you were to remove one of these films from the year nineteen ninety, which one, if you if removed? Would leave the year poorer. Adrian, going to throw that one out to you. I, I got to go the same with, with Tremors. Because that comment that we were making about Hannah Lauder, which Genius of course, has used a couple times when it referenced to him about you know the 42nd Street aspect of mm-hmm. it, is Frankenhooker is fun, but it still feels like it's kind of marred in, in, that, in that 80s-esque-ness. Mm-hmm. Whereas Tremors, it, it's something different. That's coming out in, in 1990 and it's start, starting to, to go a different course with the films that you're going to get in the 90s and kind of putting the 80s in the back window. And while that might sound like kind of a bad thing, your, your comments is literally what leaves this year poor. And so we're talking about 1990. We're talking about the beginning of a decade and we're looking at the films that are going to, you know, influence the rest of it. Or, or when you think of the 90s and you think of horror or you think of horror comedies, what do you think of? And you're going to have people say Tremors more than you're going to have them say Frankenhooker. Certainly. And so when it comes to that question, it, it's definitely it has to be Tremors, I think. I, I definitely would tell people, if you're curious about Hen and Lauder, you want a crazy time, you like that mashup of uh, of Lewis and, and Waters that, that we mentioned, then yeah, definitely check out Frankenhooker. But I, I think that Tremors is the one that, that solidifies that year. 
you do a great job of showing your work, but you have such guilt behind it. It's, it's, well, because it's because for some of these, it's breaking my heart. Actually, welcome, over here. welcome to the Catholic cast. This is uh, <laughs> hey, as I as, as I always say, I was baptized and not practicing Catholic, which which means I don't go to church, but I've always I've had been the guilt. guilt. You've always yep. got the guilt yep. carrying yep. around yep. you. Well, genius, if you removed the two, one of the two, Tremors or Frankenhooker, which one leaves 1994? If you remove Frankenhooker, you will miss one of Hen and Lauder's greatest hits but you'll still have the rest of the CD to listen to. If you remove Tremors, you remove something special and something magical and the start of a franchise. So you remove an instant icon with the Graboids. You know, you never know really what they are until later, but you always know that that's, if you understand a sandworm, that's what it looks like in your head because of movies like Tremors. So I got to go Tremors. That, that totally works. And I, I'm going to say Tremors as well. And I'm going to piggyback off something you mentioned, uh, Adrian, is the fact that it is it's PG-13. It is a gateway film. Yeah. And anytime that you can introduce the younger generation into horror, anytime you can introduce the normies into horror, because this might be something that like, oh, I, I didn't know Kevin Bacon did such films. Like, oh, oh, let me tell you another <laughs> one here. <Yeah>. But, <laughs> but like, yeah, and, and this is, hey, I'm, I'm really sorry that I forced you to watch Hollow Man. How about we follow it up with Tremors? Whatever, dude. I like Hollow Man. But anyway, but no, continue. Yeah, that's no, no. That's that's it for me. But by a count of six to nothing, man, a clean oh. sweep. I guess they did get penetration with that elephant gun. Penetrated into the round of the hateful eight. Mm-hmm. So congratulations to Tremors, which leads us to our final two films of 1990. Oh, I, I was I was going to say not even Supercrack could help. Nah. Oh, there you go. Oh, that's good too. See, damn it, just speak forward, my friend. Speak forward. Um. A made-for-TV film versus a film that comments on TV, movies, and just everything in general. It going up against Gremlins 2. Yes. How wow. did this happen? Who gets How did this not happen? How did this not happen? This? How did this not happen? Well, First I, I, of all, I, this is going to be fucking hard for me. So, Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say Night, It winning over Nightbreed was kind of a, an upset. Because I see, do love me some Nightbreed. I... I I know. See, it's tough. I, I, I need to listen to that a conversation. That's all I have to say. <laughs> we'll get into that. We'll get into uh, that. We showed our work. We did I, show I our work. To, our I work. need to know who I'm mad at there. <laughs> Take we, a guess, Georgie. <laughs> we do occasionally have buyer's regret, I believe. We've called that before. Yeah. Uh, that happened. Um, we'll get to that we'll eventually. We'll get to that in a later decade. Apparently but. not every... They don't all float down to Midian. No, they don't. Yeah, no. Nope. Midian was, uh, unfortunately, did... Um, Drown out, yeah. yeah. It, was, yeah. It, was a, it was a bad thing. But it going up against Gremlins two. Which of the two shall we bite into first here, Adrian? Let's go for Gremlins two. There we go. Go for it. So Fucking love Gremlins two. I had a wait, nice little wait, exchange. Wait, do do we do we mention this here? Do I, we mention course. this here because I'm going to bring it up because it is was one of the most stirring moments of 2020 <laughs> in watching somebody's brain completely explode. On a stage because of one genius McGee, because of what you did to Joe Lynch. What I did to Joe Lynch when in when when these gentlemen were were talking uh, hardware with with Joe Lynch and we're talking about '90s movies and everything. Gremlins two gets mentioned by one Greg, and Mister Genius over here goes, "I fucking love Gremlins two. I think it's better than Gremlins." Oh yeah, and Joe Lynch's face melted exploded entered another dimension and then came back onto his face and he just said what 
I see. I don't remember a lot of that conversation, yeah. Yeah, sadly, because I he was. Didn't, he didn't have the microphone up because he was so shocked that it was slack in his hand, and he's like, "What?" Just and happened? and that's just it. Genius will go to bat. Now I'm, exactly. I will say this. I will say this. That's I, what I'm excited did I do? I think Gremlins, <laughs> the original, is a better Christmas film. I will straight up admit that, but there is something about Gremlins 2. Dude, Gremlins 2 is fucking better, it's, it's man. A, it's a fucking cartoon, and I love it. I don't it's, think you can compare them. I don't think you can. Yeah, you it's, can it's, it's like, it's like um, Christmas versus President's Day. Well, I was going to say it's like comparing an apple to an orange <laughs> that's on Super Crack. That's on Super Crack, yeah. Hey, they're both nutritious and delicious, man. I will go to Exactly. I, I, that is the hill I stand on, and I will stay <laughs> to the day I die. Fucking Gremlins 2 is better than fucking Gremlins 1 because I think it's just more mad cappery. It's exactly what everything I want. It's pure Dante. It is uncut Dante. It's, this it, is That's it. That's it. If you're going to it's in for a penny in well, for a pound. So many character actors it knows exactly what it's doing. But it's but it's a film that you can only get if you have something like Gremlins. But does Joe Lynch hate Gremlins too? No, no, no. no, no, no he no, was no. just shocked. I think that, he, that, he that, adores that, the original. Yeah, and you just yelled and said, "This is better than the original." And he's like, "Whoa!" I believe the kids call that a hot take. I, you know hot what? I've I've made a couple of hot takes recently. I have a hot reason I told you. But no, but I mean, Hansel it's and Gretel. <laughs> I like so Gretel and Hansel. Gretel and Hansel. My, my bad. My bad. They're they're both so hot right now. <laughs> Speaking of hot fire. The uh, <laughs> God damn that entire diatribe that goes on there. I'm surprised they didn't mention like oh. Prometheus in it. It was yes. just everything built around this film is. I love the fact that I got a text from you going, dude, Rick Dukeman is in this. Yeah, when Duke shows up, <laughs> I was like, the Duke, the Duker. <laughs> Tell your friends about the Duker. Uh, you, but, uh, but yeah, but I'm, I, th- I, it's you. And I know we're talking about specifically this one, but you're talking about Joe Dante Unleashed. And I think it's because he was able to have the success that he did with the first one that that he's like, I want to do whatever I want to do. Whatever the fuck I want. Exactly. And so that like they're they're two completely tonally the way they're filmed. Just everything is completely different about them. So that that's why they couldn't be more different. And so it's hard to compare them. But for what Gremlins is. Yeah, it's tons of fun because it's just ridiculous. It never makes a point of either settling down or trying to take itself too seriously, even to the point of when she starts talking about her her past again. Her President's Day. And and he leans in and goes, Honey, we don't have time for this right now. It's just it's commenting on he he's able he, to look at every critique of the yeah. original film. And ultimately it's him setting up chaos in the original in like a Norman Rockwell painting. Yeah. And then in this part two, it's just in the big it's the Gremlin chaos well, in the big city. It's, right. It's basically if the guy from Matinee was was yeah. making a movie in 1990. Yeah. It, uh, th- that's what it is. Mance yeah. in the big city. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it would work. I would think or, it would work. Or, or if it was just Mance. Or just Mance. Yeah. I would. Dun, 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 dun. Fucking Gremlins too, man. The voice, the voice of Mohawk. Peter Weller. Frank, Frank Welker. Frank Welker, Frank of course. Frank P- Peter Welker. Peter Welker. <laughs> Come with me if you want to multiply. <laughs> <laughs> and there, you, fucking see, you fucking see Stripe. Not even looking. Dude. Not even looking. <laughs> Don't go to that RoboCop gif or whatever that thing is. It's awful. It's not right. Uh, the fact that we had six uh, years between the original and the sequel, I think, yeah. helped, ultimately. Yeah. Uh, the fact that we go from Chris Wallace to Rick Baker in yeah. the design, you've got two masters still designing everything. Mm-hmm. I Just so much character in the Gremlins, yeah. so much funny pathos. The Easter eggs, the, the character actors that just show up. Female Gremlin. 
Deal, not a deal breaker. Not a deal breaker. Not a deal breaker, <laughs> dude. Not a deal breaker. I don't think we talked about that in the intro uh, round no, there. I'm not Robert Picardo. But no, that's, you know. that's what I was going to say. If it's good for Picardo, it's good for Genie. <laughs> well, you want to talk about a stable of players there. Yeah. The Henenlotter players. Jeez Louise. Oh, who? Everyone. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, who who shows up for two seconds on security camera? D- Dante Roll Fuck Call. Uh, uh, oh, my oh, God. Henry Gibson. Go. Yes. Henry Gibson Henry, shows up. Henry Gibson. Fucking, fucking Dr. Copleck. Uh, Sean Aston. John Aston. Yeah. Is the maintenance man the plumber, fucking Dick right? Miller shows up again? Of course. Um, Dick Butkus gets torn up. Christopher Lee is the uh, hey there, brother. <laughs> Hulk Hogan, Paul Bert, uh, Paul, Paul Bertel. Bertel. He shows up fucking as the matinee dude. Fucking everybody. It is. Everybody is in this movie. Leonard Malton is in this goddamn <laughs> movie, dude. As himself, getting choked to death by a goddamn, goddamn gremlin. gremlin. <laughs> it's. I think this is. Uh, did he pull one over on Warner Brothers with this? No. Ultimately? No. Because no. they Do not fucking think? signed off. And the very first was, thing you see exactly. is Donald Duck. No, fucking Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny coming in. And fucking Gremlins 2 are despicable. Yeah. And so, like, fucking. And when they do that, the logo goes <laughs> out to become. But it becomes the logo for Gremlins 2. So it goes straight into it. So it's there. I can just imagine some executives, though, that just didn't have any idea. And they go in and they're like, well, no, no, because. They love it. They fucking love it. And exactly. they like release this about, to the masses. Think about the success that you have with, with Gremlins 1. Mm-hmm. Oh, You're yeah. living in an age where you don't have the internet like it is nowadays. So all you have to do is put a, a trailer that sells up a little bit of the Mad Capri yeah. to cut around it. Show the character actors that you have in it. And people are going to go, oh, I had so much fun with that first film. I want to go back and see this. It gets, a, okay, it gets them in. You're, you're gets gonna them have, in. Yeah, exactly. You're going to get all those people who are going to go in because this doesn't look like the most expensive film ever made. I'll give it that. So, I'll give it that. So, I don't I, know. I, it looks pretty cool to me. It looks got big sets and fucking monsters <laughs> and shit like that. I, I'm saying Batman. I'm saying, but but you think you think about the time and you think about what what you're seeing in in the movie that it's probably not, you know, a like 40 50 million dollar film. Yeah, so, you know, it's the again, it's it, I think it still works now. Um, it, it's also a film that it's one of those uh, movies that years ago when you bought uh, cereal boxes, they would have certain DVDs that would be attached to it. This was one of them that was attached to so it. So it was like Placid, and I fucking love that movie, too. <laughs> this is also a very divisive film, because I do know some people out there that just, just do not like Gremlins 2, and I think because... I need, the... to, I need to bite my tongue for a second, because it turns out $50 million was the budget oh, estimated. So. Okay. <laughs> that, well. If they don't like Gremlins 2, I challenge them to rewatch it. Yeah, yeah that's I, fair. It's, that's it's, fair. It's fun. I'm not going to tell them that they're wrong. Am I, I, I'm, think, gonna... I'm thinking it. I'm thinking it, I but do... I'm... Yeah. I don't think there's any way that anybody can like wouldn't use the word fun or yeah, absolutely to describe it. It's not yeah. it's not scary necessarily. No, no. Except for the spider. Spider one is cool. And but you know what? Yeah. There was cool things about it. I remember seeing this vividly, like seeing in the theater and thinking like, Oh man, an all horror channel, that'd be fucking <laughs> rad. An all cooking channel, that'd be slick too. Clamp like, was very prescient. Seriously, like fucking a uh, whole big mall type thing with the food court and office buildings and then like the jokes like going down and they like it's so good. We we should we should all be shot technically since we didn't mention John Glover. John Glover. Yet. So, I, I know we, we were I, talking this long about it. We haven't mentioned John. We waxed Glover, his so. car a little on the first round. Yeah, I know we did that. I know, but I'm, I'm saying we you have a chance to exactly get the I, turtle wax out. I don't want to piss off Lionel Luther. <laughs> He's exactly he, his character should be unlikable, but he does something with Clamp that 
it's, high, it's John Glover. It Glover. He just mm-hmm. has this energy. Even in Scrooge, you're supposed to hate him in Scrooge, and you're like, it's got that charisma. He's, got, he's just got that energy there. You don't. Right, yeah. Black's bad. Look e- for you. Even in uh, he just showed up recently in Shazam. Did he as the dad? Oh, um, that's right. Uh, that's Sam right. Tucci, yeah. Or no, um, Mark Strong. Yeah, such a good, so good. So, final thoughts before we head down to see if the Gremlins float. Gremlins fucking two better than the original. <laughs> I'm telling you, telling you. I moved out of your way. I moved out of your way. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and go and see if Georgie is still down there. <laughs> there it is. It's 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 bound to come out. We're talking Tommy Lee Wallace's made-for-TV adaption, It. Adrian. Genius is going first. Oh, I, I, would. I saw this motherfucker on TV, <laughs> right? I was going to say, he's got he's got those nostalgia glasses. So. Oh, yeah. It was like a Wednesday and a Friday, because there was a day in between, like, a- a- ABC presents Stephen King's It. Right? Sat there, watched it, and I was like, holy shit, this movie is amazing. And I'm not 100% sure if it was one of my first introductions to Tim Curry, but it's around that time. And so this movie scared me. Um, It made me laugh. Uh, Everything about it. Now, I I got as I get older, I got critiques and poignant, but it still has that like long lasting legacy. This movie sparks so many phobias and fears. And for that alone, I appreciate the (laughs) shit out of it. Would also say it and probably inspired some a lot of clown other, stuff yeah, too. A lot, a lot of clowning around. A lot of <laughs> non deal breakers. <laughs> so, Adrian, do you remember your first experience with this one? Uh, it was it was another uh, renting it because I, re- I remember that that giant case that, yes, that they had. It, it had it was the, the it was double, twofer, right? Exactly, and you just have him on the front of it, and so with the green hand. Exactly. I think I remember the one I had was it was actually no, it wasn't the green hand. It was just him on the cover. Um, but ultimately, what I'm always curious is to see, especially if someone didn't see it originally on the TV, because yeah. on the TV version, you still have the commercials. But a lot of the times, you can see ultimately where, where, the, yeah. t- where the commercial breaks were, even in the original film and rewatching mm-hmm. it, which doesn't necessarily throw the pace off for me, no. but it's noticeable. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw it in, I want to say like 92. So it was still, I mean, it wasn't really on there. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, was able was to, to get rented from... Um, was it from video library so i rented it here in in kansas city wait video library it was more, Give me... it was on the kansas side okay no uh, I, it was uh 87th street parkway okay and 35 87 30 okay i was gonna say we can get regional because then on 87th and metcalf was hollywood at home baby yep hollywood at home was there shout and out then, to jason one of the hosts uh, of alamo down at uh at corinth off a uh, mission drive was where they had uh, a family video a family video. that was right there but it was a family video that had all the horror like if you went to there was another uh family video that was like in olathe that had it was more family friendly had the capital like f the, family exactly whereas the, this, family the, this one like their horror section was bigger than everything else that's why i went to that one they had I a beaded like, curtain room hey we, yep. we need to go visit Grandpa and Grandma over here because we can rent a movie. Rent movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty sneaky, Adrian. Well, it worked out. But yeah, so I remember renting it um, at that time and watching it and being blown away because when you're... It's a weird thing because I can see this movie and have the critiques nowadays and go, I, I, it's still going to bother kids. I think if oh. you're a kid of a certain age, oh, yeah. seeing this is still going to be effective. But I also think that's kind of at times what holds it back. Because this movie, of course, comes out in 1990. 
had a had a lot of money that was put behind it because for a made for TV movie, twelve million dollars is what the budget was. And I happened to look this up just a couple nights ago because I was listening to another podcast where they were talking about a uh, single white female that, of course, comes out in the mid 90s. Mm-hmm. Single white female cost sixteen million dollars. <laughs> so this made for TV movie cost That's almost sad. as much as a big theatrical film. But because it was on TV, they had all the censors that they had to, to work around. A lot of limitations. <laughs> no kid diddling. Well, I mean, but it's but it was <laughs> for but, the best. But it, yeah. I know. But in a way that actually ties into it, because children in peril was one of the main things that the censor said is that you can't have children in peril. And if you do, it has to be within this. That's why. Um, what's it called? Uh, Belcher, whatever his name is, who gets, gets folded the pipe. Mm-hmm. They're able to do that because his character is a little bit older. So they can show that to him, having him be like 14 or whatever, as opposed to the kids who are... As opposed to Georgie, exactly, where you who don't like just kind of cut away from him. Going, ah, right. Exactly. So that's why they, they, they had all these things they had to, to work around and certain things that they couldn't show. And yet you have more of the blood and stuff when you get into like the adult part. So mm-hmm. th- they're trying to pull it. And so it's, it's a film that I can watch and respect with what it's doing and love little moments that it has. But like as a whole, for how long it is, it... it because you look at just a couple of years later when they end up doing like The Shining. For, I like The Shining, the, and, but they're able to they're able to go a lot darker with or that. Storm of the Century. That's I think I that's that was one of the best uh, Storm, miniseries uh, that they put out. Craig Storm, R. Baxley, Storm of the Century. Um, oh God, Tommy Knockers is another one. Langoliers. You even have. Uh, they need to redo the Langoliers. Well, yeah, but I'm still. Saying but yeah, no. they, they were able to be darker and scarier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, God, what's the one? The Rose Red? Yes. And then that was the other one, the Diary of Ellen Rimbaugh, yeah. the, the back-to-back and, one. And like you see Damn. how much, how darker those get. Yeah. But then you also have to remember the point that we're in now in, in uh, 2020. And you think about TV oh, shows that have been on. Like you, you think <laughs> about just in the last decade. Think about Supernatural. Fucking Teen Wolf. Yeah, but I was going to say, think of Supernatural, which, which is a channel that everybody gets on the CW. And you think about how bloody... And gory and gross things in that are. And then you think of something like Hannibal, which oh, was man. on one of the main channels and how much they do. And in both of those, there's some terrible things that happen to kids in both those series. It's, so it's, it's, 30, it's 30 years. A lot has changed. Yeah. Exactly. So so you guys like to say another time, another place. And so that's what's weird at looking at it now. And then we also have the context of that. We have two giant movies. That came out in just the last handful of years that are adapting the same source material. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult to go back and watch something like it yeah. when you have these two that are in your mind. And, that, right. and that's why I can watch it. And I'm like, Tommy Lee Wallace, you're trying to do the most with what you got here, man. And I, I completely respect it. Yeah. But it's it's definitely one of those that some of the sheen is is kind mm-hmm. of getting wiped off a little bit. Still got some really good effective scares, oh, though, yeah, man. The, it's like the, the the acid in the face when yeah. his face is melting, and uh, the the, g- the scene with the picture where he comes out of yeah, the, it's terrifying. Oh. And there's actually points, and I wrote a few of these down where I do appreciate the scares and at least the craft involved based on those limitations. Yeah. Of the miniseries more than the stuff that just came out, you know, within the last few years. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, even like the old lady scene. Yes. I think that makeup job was so much more effective than that giant CGI creature we got. <laughs> the naked lady. It's it, it just, <laughs> and even like the 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 Chinese scene with the yeah. fortune cookies and everything. Again, just little 
the practical stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you mentioned the fact that you can tell Tommy Lee Wallace is doing what he can. Oh, yeah. I, I will never, I will never crap on Tommy Lee Wallace. Uh, I love you, baby. He, he, he puts it into everything, man. He it's, it's, I'm, but I'm glad ultimately that TLW I think is TCB. He does do, <laughs> um, but I'd like to, I'm curious to how many people do backtrack now. The ones yeah. that are originally seen, cause I can imagine, I hope they do. but I imagine though, if you're going to be like, going, yeah, especially youngsters the, get off my lawn right for yeah, a second. Well, but Back well, in the back in the day, that's what we had. But at the same <laughs> oh, time, yeah. if you look at it like that, I mean, of course, if you're going to compare, man, these folks are going to choose it, you know. Well, especially with the spider, you no, know. That's but, but no, no, I, I don't think people will have problems with with that. I think it's the, kind the of the the, the overall package because when we talk about it and we talk about the lasting legacy from the '90s, we don't talk about the movie. We talk about one thing. We talk about Tim Curry's Pennywise. Certainly, yeah. We don't have people who are talking about scenes with the kids scenes with the adults people aren't talking about john ritter they aren't talking about harry anderson they're not talking about jonathan we, Brandis we are well, we yeah, are well, but, but i mean but that's but that's what we're talking about in general we're talking, yeah, we're talking about, about it's, tim it's, curry it's, exactly 30 years later even with these two other films we're still talking about people it. go tim curry creeped me out when i was a kid yep they're not talking about like the other parts and so that's what's interesting about it it does it's, have a legacy it will always have a legacy because of him but you don't have people talking about like the the movie as a whole. He's the face of which I'm fine with because yeah. he's he's Tim Curry, and that's well, creeped what at least two generations out. We'll yeah. say. Oh yeah. Yeah. Easily. Easily. Yeah. Well, and I ultimately I think what a lot of the people talk about in the the it that just came out. Not so much, even though Skarsgård was great. They're always like yeah. Skarsgård versus Tim Curry. But it was and... the chemistry of the kids that I think that exactly. people still talk about versus more than and then, it. And then but... with with the things you're able to get across with like the, the atmosphere or, or some of the scares and things that, that you're able to do with it. Because those kids are in peril. Yeah, mm-hmm. They're Truly. definitely in peril. Truly. And so you're able to, to get into that. And, and the set design, because you, you have more money and, and you have that larger canvas you're able to paint with, you're able to, to do that instead of how many boiler rooms can we find in the city to use. <laughs> Again, limitations bring out the best exactly. of us. But speaking of limitations, we're going to make sure to wrap this up here because we yeah. have another podcast that will be coming on. But It and Gremlins 2, All right. we love both of them, but only yeah. one can go forward to the round of the Hateful Eight. So Adrian, between yep. the two, which one is closer to your heart? I, I think that... See, this is a difficult one. I know which one I'm going to choose, but we're we're talking about closer to the heart, and so it does have that that point when it came into people's lives because it was an event. It wasn't just, hey, we have to go to the theater and spend all this money. It's in the comfort of your own home. Millions of people were able to watch this thing and have that communal experience across the country, not yeah. having to pay any money, getting their families around the TV and did it. So they're... There is that closer to the heart, so I want to give that shout out to to it. But at, we've been talking about Joe Dante, and I think Joe Dante is one of the the greats when it comes to directing that we don't talk about enough. And Gremlins Two being his moment of saying, "I have the money, <laughs> I have the ability to do whatever I want, and if you want to crucify me afterwards, fine, because I've made my movie. I got to choose Gremlins Two. That's fair. That's fair. So for closer to the heart, you have. Gremlins, Gremlins too. I'm 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 choosing Gremlins too, yeah. j- just you... because of the whole overall distillation of it. Okay. Because it's closer to my heart because it's closer to Joe Dante's heart. Yeah, very true, very true. I I'm having that's why I was like listening to what you had to say. I'm having a super hard time with it's this. It's difficult one. because, like you said, 
I remember exactly where I was when I saw it for the first time and like, holy shit, and freaking out. I don't remember really when I saw it, Gremlins 2. I knew it was the theater, but I don't know which one yet. <laughs> but like, for close to the high, I love Tim Curry so much. You've got, you've got, remember, so there's so much. And then I, like, I love scaring people in Tim Curry's voice. I go, got, go to your, go with your yeah. heart, my friend. You gotta what go. does your gut say? I know. Not your gut, your heart. What does the Fucking, heart say? I love Gremlins too. Uh, I love Gremlins too. I gotta go Gremlins too. But like, this one was super, super, super hard because it's, it's harder than you think with that closer to the heart part. Because I got a great story for like, because you know, I did like, hey, Georgie, right? So yeah. I'm at work one day and we got a little clown right and it was just after the movie came out right <laughs> and like uh they go up and like oh look it's pennywise pennywise and they go and i'm like they float right when they touch but right before they touch it they go what <laughs> and then they started running so i got that like mad love for it but i love gremlins too so much again it's 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 all about love it's all it's, it's staying true to that love for me, this one is not, it's not hard for me. It, it is Gremlins 2, and it's not because I dislike it or anything, but I no. did not see it when it came out initially. It took me a while to get to it, but Gremlins was one, even backtracking, I saw the original. The original is one of my favorite theatrical experiences, because it was with my mom and my grandma, and they're no longer with me, and, you know, they gave, they let me go yeah. to movies like this. Even though when the gremlin gets in the blender, my grandma's like, what the hell kind of movie are we watching here? <laughs> so of course I got to go with gremlins too on this one regardless. Now that being said, and this was this one gets interesting, but if you remove one of the films from 1990, which one leaves the year poor? See, it's, a, it's difficult. This it, is a tough one. I got one. this one. Oh, I got this one. Okay, you what, is your, what is your there, genius? It. Okay. It, absolutely it. If you took away gremlins too, it would be a goddamn travesty towards cinema. Okay? You kill Joe Dante. You would. It would be a travesty <laughs> towards cinema. If you killed the original It, we would not have so many phobias. We would not have we so many fears, so many interesting source material, so many memories, so many remakes, so many so much things. It Stephen King. He's important. We can understand his story is important, but that portrayal of Pennywise is important. Yeah. So I think if that was gone, the pop culture in itself would be gone. I, and I, that's I, yeah, well spent. Well, very good showing the work there. My, and I know that was tough. <laughs> yeah, it was. I was thinking about it. I was like, ah, because we're because we're talking specifically about 1990. Mm -hmm. If if we're talking about what would would make a. a would make things lesser as a whole. I'm not sure if I can choose at it too, but talking about 1990, we I can say that that is that is it. And when you're comparing that year, because uh, Gremlins, because of the comedy that's in it, um, and because of the Mad Capri, which is great and I love it, but it's it's two sides of a different coin that's in two completely different countries. When you're talking about <laughs> it in Gremlins too, so that's why I have to go with with it because for that year at that time, like if you if yeah. you're if you're talking about in the whole long run, we, we mentioned how many other um, made for TV movies for Stephen King. Right? Like how how many um, are we celebrating? Because then, the, right. then I was then I was going to say, and then it's, you've got like TNT itself being like, it's the name of Stephen King. We're going to do this series mm -hmm. of many movies. We're, we're we're going to do a whole bunch of. We're going to do writing the bullet. And stuff like that. And so you don't necessarily need it for that. But talking about specifically 1990, 
it was a cultural phenomenon at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so to remove that peg from that gear would be a huge blow, not not just for the phobias and everything, but because of <laughs> what what it did for like made for TV movies yeah. and everything, because it, it it's a completely different thing of what people think. And even though they did have all the sensors that they have to work around and stuff like that, when it came to having a horror made for TV movie based off a book by one of, you know, the, the masters of horror, even at that time when it came for uh, not for novels, Stephen King has been huge for years and stuff like that. So having that at that time was a big cultural, you know, point in history. So taking it out, I think, would be it, it would leave a huge hole there. So I, I think the answer is it. And you guys are making me feel real dumb here because I'm I'm also going to say it, and mine is just for the simple reason that because ultimately you get rid of Gremlins too, we still have the original. Yeah, and, that's very true. And that's very true. And without it, you guys so eloquently said we would be missing out on so many things. Now that being said, then that does indeed we have a tie right now, oh. three points apiece. So as we mentioned before in our uh, the selection episode. If we do indeed have a tie, we're heading to the cover of the uh, cover of the old thing. Go, gonna buy a copy for my brother. Gonna watch some movies on Shutter. Gonna see my gruesome face on the cover of the old Fango. And you wouldn't believe this. You would Uh-oh. think, and maybe because it was a made-for-TV film, it didn't get cover status on Fangoria. What? what? I was shocked, but you know who did? On the cover of the old Fango, we've got Gremlins 2. Holy oh, shit. Which means, oh, oh, they do float down there. Pennywise, caca. <laughs> Gremlins 2, advancing into the round of the Hateful Eight, which means. Oh, we, fuck. Wow. Oh, fuck. Wow. Oh, fuck. Wow. Oh, fuck. Two films featuring monsters, <laughs> two films that are horror comedies, and two films. Man, we might have to rip oh, your heart no. out for this one, genius. Oh, no. Every fucking year, dude. Every fucking year, there's always one category where it comes down to just a heartbreak. Like, damned if you do and damned if you don't, man. Well, I'm, Tremors. I'm going to be so worried in like a week or two from now when Greg's like, Adrian, I've got two things to tell you. One, I need a new co-host. Oh, God. <laughs> and second of all, it's because Genius has died. And I'll say, Greg, why didn't you start with Genius dying? Yeah. Well, you know, we got to keep the momentum going, you know, Mad- well, March we, Madness. We, we, we've already got a couple of yeah, we, we already got a couple of days. We, we had a few episodes banged, so yeah. we're good. Now. <laughs> we're good, I, I, we're I, good I, for a couple of weeks, man. So. I, I come down here to record and Genius's <laughs> body is still on the floor. Actually, I've got a hologram of Genius. Weekend at Genius. Zobbledy bip. Just wolf cop. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Mate, that's how I that's how you pop. Made. Yeah. Mouth popping. Mouth popping sound. <laughs> oh it, no, no, it's gonna turn into like fucking tourist trap. Oh, oh no. Gee. Oh no. Any chance to do this now. Any chance to break out the Yuck Connors. Well, Adrian, thank you so much, man, for taking the time to talk with us, to get involved with the madness, and ultimately to yeah. hopefully exercise some demons. Any, hopefully you got anything, some... anything to cause the worst Sophie's choice possible for genius. <laughs> well, and unfortunately, our, the next crew that are going to be joining us... I saw, uh, I'm excited. Cause... We, we have from the Corpse Club podcast, yeah. uh, returning, actually, and they've both been on Into the Mouth March Madness individually. This will be the first time we get them together, uh, but we're going to be welcoming... Heather Wixon and Patrick Bromley. Uh, So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get knee deep with the Corpse Club with Tremors and Gremlins 2. Hi, Patrick. Hi, Heather. Spreading the news. I'm leaving today. I want to be a part of it. 
And we are back, and as we go from the round of the Scream 16 into the round of the Hateful Eight, let us again thank Adrian from the Horrorversary Podcast, and let us say goodbye both to Frankenhooker and to It, because as it turns out, I guess... They all don't float. <laughs> no, they do not. Uh, but as one door closes, another inevitably opens, and behind that door we have two of my favorite people from the world of horror... They are horror BFFs in the truest sense of the phrase. At least they were before we started recording. Uh, <laughs> please welcome back to Nightmare Junkhead from the Corpse Club podcast, Heather Wixon and Patrick Bromley. Hello, guys. Hi, everybody. Hello, hello. And we'll keep the... Uh, the this is, we'll keep it spoiler free. The drama invisible, I guess. Thank you guys so much for doing this. <laughs> Even though... <laughs> If if it inevitably if it is our fault that everything falls apart, we will apologize on all that. But before it does, please tell our listeners where can they find you out on social media. Uh, please plug and promote away. Oh, I guess I'll go first. Sorry, um, I, I'm just over on Twitter at the Horror Chick. Uh, that's all that I do. I I don't know how to do the Instagrams. I'm not mm-hmm. good with the Instagrams, mm-hmm. and I don't do Facebook. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just over at the Horror Chick on, on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Patrick Bromley or, of course, at F This Movie, which is the site that I run, FThisMovie.com. Excellent. And before we get into the madness proper, uh, Heather, I also wanted to make sure to take um, the time to compliment the just the, the plethora of good content you gave us during Women in Horror Month um, over at the Corpse Club. But especially, you did an episode where you highlighted the work of Deborah Hill, uh, along with other top critic Megan Navarro, and it was just kind of a revelation, and for me, kind of the essence of what I love to see with Women in Horror Month, because again, we always want to say, shouldn't be celebrated only in February, all year round, uh, but that episode in particular was just kind of a highlight of the month for me, so number one, thank you for that one. Um, well, I think a lot of that credit is actually due to Megan. Um, we were trying to figure out like what we were going to talk about because I wanted to have her on because I, I, I really adore Megan. Uh, I think she's awesome. And she was the one who suggested Deborah Hill. And I was really glad because like a lot of times like, you know, it's, it's easy just to like do a movie like we, you know, we did the near dark episode with uh, Emily Von Sele. Hopefully I said her name right. <laughs> I always get it wrong. I love Emily. And for some reason, her last name is just like this stop sign in my head where I just can't get it right. Uh, but I also had, we also had Stephanie Crawford on the episode and I really enjoyed our discussion of Catherine Bigelow mm-hmm. and near dark. Um, but I did, I, 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 the Deborah Hill one was fun because it, it ultimately there isn't a lot out there, which is really a bummer. Uh, and we sort of joked at the end of the episode, like, I think it was like six years ago, almost now that like they had announced that there was going to be a Deborah Hill documentary. Mm-hmm. I have yet to see a Deborah Hill documentary. I want a Deborah Hill documentary um, because I think she's absolutely worthy. Um, so somebody should get on that. I don't know. We joked that we were going to do it, but Lord knows who at this point. But um, yeah, it was just nice to celebrate somebody who, you know, she she's got her own T-shirt now. Um, you know, but I think we should have lauded her more while she was here. Um But now that she's gone, like, you know, we have to do what we can to kind of keep her memory alive. Um, But, yeah, I had a really good time doing Women in Horror Month this month. You know, I gave all the boys the month off um, and now I'm exhausted. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it was it was great. Like we started off. um, I had recorded an uh, episode at Sundance with uh, this up and coming filmmaker named uh, Natalie Erica James. She did this really fantastic movie called Relic. Uh, It premiered at Sundance. It's playing South by Southwest. 
Um, she is an absolute delight. She's from Australia. She actually, it was funny. I when I was talking to her because like I never want to assume like people from certain countries know each other. Like assuming somebody from the UK who's a filmmaker knows Edgar Wright. You know what I mean? <laughs> so when we were talking and she, I was like, okay, do I ask her if she knows Lee Winnell? I mean, like maybe, probably. I don't want to assume. And sure enough, she shadowed Lee Winnell in Upgrade. Um, so that was like, oh, you do know Lee. So it was a little <laughs> relief where I was like, oh, you know, you're from Australia. You clearly know everybody from there. Um, so that was a really, really great episode. And I do, I, I, I want to highly recommend people keep an eye out for that film. I don't know what the distribution is yet here in the States, um, but it was absolutely one of the best midnighters that they had at Sundance and I'm really excited that people in Austin are going to get a chance to see it um, so I really loved that episode a lot because I got to sort of talk to somebody who's on the cusp because I do feel like she is going to be a very big name in the horror genre in the next few years um, and I also really had a great time talking to Amanda Wiss this past yes, week yes. Um, we had 45 minutes to make it work because she had an audition and then she was leaving the very next day for the Women in Horror uh, Film Festival to get the Icon Award. So we had to go quickly. Um, so I didn't get a chance to talk to her about everything I wanted to talk to her about. But she was an absolute delight. And I love the fact um, that she actually started off in local theater here in California playing Flora from The Innocents. Like it was full circle for me because I love The Innocents. So, um, but yeah, so it was a really great, really great month. Um, if you get a chance and you're interested, you can go and check over those episodes. Um, and I, I, you know, I was very restrained during Near Dark. I only mentioned Point Break, I think twice. <laughs> so I was, I was a good girl. You did well. The, the, the restraint itself was very Bodie-esque. I think he would yes. have been very proud of you on that. Uh, but one thing I, that cracked me up during your talk with Megan with the Deborah Hill episode was the inclusion of the Ben Tramer possibly storyline of maybe hopefully we get some closure with that hashtag justice for Ben yes I actually I feel like I remember seeing something that he's supposed to be in this new movie I don't know um, but it'd be really curious. I mean, I'm I'm a little sad for the the Jimmy Eraser from <laughs> Jimmy from Halloween Two, which of yeah. course is Lance Guest. Um, so I, I'm a little sad because I like that relationship that like Lori had. I you know especially because in the original ending they end up going going off into the ambulance together. Um, you know, so I'm I'm sad about losing Jimmy, but I'd like to see Ben Tramer come full circle. Indeed, indeed. Well, and Lonnie and Lonnie. <laughs> well, we, we'll get some of <laughs> Lonnie there. <laughs> But uh, as this episode is going to be released on Friday, March 13th, uh, just the previous Saturday before, uh, Patrick, the 8th F This Movie Fest will have gone on and gone splendidly. Um, obviously, I'm sure there's going to be a few weird components potentially with Total Recall or Darkman, you know, leave it to Raimi and uh, Verhoeven for that. The pink elephant. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately. Um, but for our listeners that aren't familiar with that, can you tell us where did the F This Movie Fest come from? And now that you're in the eighth year, how has it evolved? Um, it started because we were looking for a way to celebrate our 100th episode and we're somewhere in the 500s now. So it's been going for a while. Um, and I wanted to have something that everybody could come out to and like get together and have a party in a movie theater. And I realized that was unrealistic and people probably aren't going to travel for some, uh, podcast movie festival. So I said, well, let's put the whole thing online. And so we started doing it all on Twitter. So every year. We were watching five movies. Uh, we pick a date. We pick a specific year. So the first year was 1982. Then we did 1991. And then a bunch of years after that. Um, and we watched five movies from that specific year. Last year, we added a sixth movie because we were doing 1986. And I had my five that I thought were pretty perfect, but I couldn't. 
leave out Toby Hooper's Invaders from Mars. So I said, well, fuck it. We'll just do six movies instead. And so that kind of stuck. So this year we did six movies again celebrating uh, the films of 1990, oddly enough. (laughs) And um, looking at this year's fest, because, again, I've participated before, um, which and I believe one of my standouts was definitely Cobra when you guys did from 86, which just. Oh my God, that movie! We we played it for our Christmas with the Nerds uh, Christmas marathon this last year. We closed out with it, and oh, it's wonderful. Still ridiculous. So um, I'm <laughs> looking at the lineup here. We've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. We've got uh, oh, and the one that I think I'm looking forward to the most is Hard to Kill because I can't tell you how long <laughs> it's been since I've seen that, and I'm anxious to see how Seagal holds up. Uh, yeah, I, I had a choice because there were two Seagal movies in 1990 because he released Hard to Kill and Marked, Marked for, for Death, Death. Yes. Yeah. which has maybe one of the greatest villain deaths of all time because he dies like eight or nine times. <laughs> uh, but I went with Hard to Kill because William Sadler is in it, and I thought maybe William Sadler would join us because he is on Twitter, and also because it features the great line, I'll take you to the bank, the, the blood, blood bank. bank. Pure poetry, man. On hard to kill. Pure poetry. Uh, yeah. You're also going to be viewing Total Recall, uh, Dick Tracy, which I have not seen since I think I saw that Dang. in the theater. Yeah, Tracy, Tracy, Tracy. And just who was it? Was it um, for, Was it Will Forsyth playing Flat Top in that one? Yes. yes it is. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that was pure nightmare fuel. That freaked me out back and when I was a teenager. Prune face. Prune faces. Mumbles in his yeah. need for the water. All of that. Who? Okay, Heather. Do you know by any chance who did the prosthetic work for Dick Tracy? Uh, that was Doug Drexler and John Caglione Jr. Yes, they were uh, East Coast guys up until Dick Tracy, and for some reason, they got a call. Um, oh my God! Why can't I think of the director's name? Holy crap! Why is that? I know the whole story and how they met. Um, who, the, who, Hold who directed, on. We'll go to the end of a. It's, it's, it's others that, that this like Warren, ba- Warren, Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty directed it. Yes. Yeah. Whoa, yeah passion yes, project. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I I don't know why I was thinking Ned Beatty in my head. Like, <laughs> <laughs> A film by Ned Beatty. In this scene, we want you to squeal. Brunsville. <laughs> um, yeah, so for some reason, he called them. He, he wanted to meet with them. Like he'd already met with Rick Baker. He'd already met with Stan Winston. He'd already met with like a lot of the bigger names. And for some reason, he just really clicked with them. Like they went to his house uh, for the first meeting and like basically met with Warren Beatty in a towel. Um, <laughs> and Warren Beatty's like, what can you guys do for this? And so they went for it. Um, and I'm trying to remember. I th- I think they got the Oscar or they were at least nominated. Um I have so many, so many factoids in my head now. I'm trying to always remember, like, okay, who was nominated? Who got the <laughs> awards? Um, it's, it's so much in my head these days. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, they really, they, it was a really big challenge for them because not only did they have to do these surreal yet realistic makeups, but then also they had to work with very challenging lighting yeah. um, and things like that. Um, and it's, it's still fantastic. I haven't actually watched Dick Tracy probably in like, four years now so that's kind of exciting um it gives me a good excuse absolutely and then we also are going to be throwing in dark man in there which oh good lord that movie is so gold again the elephant scene is definitely the standout uh total recall but then ultimately and this leads us nicely into our matchup here you're also going to be watching the classic 1990 kevin bacon fred ward classic tremors 
Which leads us into our matchup here, where we have two remaining films from 1990. That's a good segue, dude. Uh, well, you know, you know it's been it was written in. Don't <laughs> worry, it's not it's not natural. Uh, but the two films that have clawed and bitten their way into the round of the Hateful Eight. Only one can move it into the round of the Frightful Four, though. And let's go ahead between the two films, Tremors and Gremlins Two. Since Tremors is part of F this movie fest, let's go ahead and talk with it. So, um, Patrick Heather. Your initial thoughts, feelings, relationship with Tremors. I feel like I should defer to Patrick first on this since, you know, F this movie and such. <laughs> uh, Tremors is uh, like a perfect movie. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Tremors. <laughs> I remember being a kid when Tremors was coming out and the advertising, it, uh, making it look kind of stupid. But stupid in a way that I was curious about because it was like, well, giant monster movie, okay. Um, and then I went to see it and it knows what it is better than so many movies it knows the exact tone that it wants to hit uh it delivers on all the horror stuff it delivers on the comedy val and earl are like two of the greatest characters in a movie in 1990 mm-hmm. um i have very very fond memories of my first viewing of tremors and it's a movie i only go back to every couple of years because i don't want to burn it out but i know when i was picking the lineup for this movie fest it was never not part of the uh, consideration because i know it's going to play like gangbusters i my suspicion even though this has already happened uh (laughs) is that uh it will play better than anything else there better than ninja turtles though i don't know no i'm just joking i know no it's I, i i say that as somebody we actually have a tremors poster in our office um so that's clearly a movie that means a lot in in our house um in fact i'm probably one of the few people who actually gets excited about all the new tremors movies we've gotten as of late um not the only one <laughs> more michael gross isn't a bad thing yep. um it's it's so funny though like when i was watching i mean obviously it is jaws with giant ground worms um you know and i think they they really sort of lean into that very well with the camera work and stuff like that um it's it's so wholesome um yet there's parts of it that are very adult humored um but yet it just has like a really really good heart to it and i love you know obviously the graboids are fantastic i mean how do i not like a movie where reba mcintyre is playing a character named heather <laughs> um i mean right there is like you know 10 points off uh, right off the bat and getting um, penetration with the elephant gun too just it's, yep it, it's a convert it's a quote i swear to god this man throws out in casual conversation context or out of context and it usually works almost every Reba's time is the best <laughs> she is kind of she is kind of wonderful in that um yeah we talked patrick you said it's kind of perfect and i that's something i think we've been saying throughout the entirety of this tournament one thing with tremors is it is almost a perfect film just the pacing of it the special effects the cast i mean i do you know of anyone like I don't know if I would say this is a litmus test film, but yeah, we said would, earlier nobody is like, man, fuck that movie. Tremors <laughs> suck, you know. Like, have you ever nobody. come across anyone in the wild that actually has a distaste to the original Tremors? I don't think I have, and I've actually had friends in recent years uh, where I found out they had never seen Tremors and they were about to watch it for the first time. And every time, you know, you don't want to build a movie up right. too much, but inside i'm like oh my gosh i'm so excited for you to see this movie for the first time and every single one of them has said oh yeah that totally lives up to its reputation but you brought up something interesting like you said um they marketed it towards this goofy comedy and like 
I mean, it's a comedy, but it's not goofy. It, it was interesting back um, here in Kansas City when they were marketing it. They there was a contest where you could win tickets to go see the new family funny comedy Tremors, right? And they would put this this trailer, like the little mini trailer, with at like the Forty One Kids Club, like during that episode stuff, and they would show like the scenes. Um, you know when the graboid gets the jackhammer stuck in his back and he takes the uh construction worker with him they showed yeah. that and then they showed the farmer like uh falling out of context with like goofy music like you know and i'm like and then so i got tickets and i'm like this is nothing like what they showed on the tv this is so much better i don't need yakety sax for tremors although although saying that that would make the pole vaulting scene just that much better all life looks and moves better at speed, just a little one and a half, you know, just then. And the girl's pogo dance sticking really quick. Now the Christ almighty, now you're going to have that stuck in my head. When we Inevitably, when I watch that uh, next Saturday, my friend, you're probably ruining it for me now, genius. God damn it. You always do that. Always do that. Um, the, the, the craft and the care and the creatures themselves, this, I cannot believe that this spawned a franchise, because if you looked at this film, by itself, I think it holds up perfectly. But but I'm with Heather. I like the franchise. So Patrick, are you a fan of the franchise? You're you're kind of quiet on this one. I think I've only seen the most recent sequel, which was like the Jamie Kennedy one. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only other one I've seen. Otherwise, well, I've never seen any of the sequels. There's technically two Jamie Kennedys now, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Okay, yeah. so this one was like a cold day in hell. Does that sound yes. right? Yeah. Okay. So you so never saw two? No, I've never seen two. Oh, two is great. Yeah. I think and Fred I think Ward it, came back for two, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think yeah. I think four is sort of my least favorite because it's kind of it's you know it goes back to like oldie times, you know, when it's like I don't know, like the eighteen hundreds and like oh, old. I, I like that yeah, one. It, I don't know. I find it dry <laughs> comparatively to the other other entries. Um, yeah, I like I like the the last two. The, you know, I like. The one before this more than Cold Day in Hell. I'm totally blanking on the names because I'm so prepared for this. <laughs> um, but I, I do think that sort of the difference between the movies now versus the movies, the original sort of four, was the fact that now they're sort of doing more digital creatures, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which you kind of lose a little bit of the magic. So that's kind of a bummer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I you know, it's, it, it's interesting because I remember like there was like a big hubbub when... The one preceding Cold and Cold Day and Hell was coming up because there was doing they were doing the Tremors uh, pilot for Sci-Fi oh, yeah. with Kevin Bacon, and it was weird to me. I mean, I guess we live in a day and age where we have a Child's Play remake and we have a Child's Play series now officially headed to Sci-Fi. Um, so it's it's you know I, I think that sort of split people a little bit. Um, I, I wouldn't say Cold Day and Hell is like my favorite, but I do think the one before this was a lot of fun because it's like in, in like Africa mm-hmm. and it just has like some really good set pieces and great characters. And Michael Gross is really in into everything like he like four. I feel like he's very comfortable, but I feel like that one like five, like he's really like having to sort of kind of put himself out there again. Yeah. You know, and he's he's getting up there, you know, <laughs> yeah. and God bless him. He's out there. Fighting ass blasters any chance he can get, so good for him. Major Dad's kicking that ass, man. No, that's Gerald McGraney. Ger- at least you remember yeah, the was, Gerald McGraney. That was not Major Dad. No, I, 
I got my like sitcom, my balding mustachioed sitcom stars mixed. Well, <laughs> well, thinking of staying mixed up here, uh, when kind of rewatching a lot of the films here in our tournament this year, uh, Patrick or Heather, one of you said it. Val and Earl are some of the greatest characters ever created. Imagine though, if we paired an elder Val and Earl with an upcoming Tucker and Dale, and had those worlds collide. A Val and Earl versus Tucker and Dale flick. Do you think that would work, and can we make it happen? I, I mean, I'll want make... to see them battle each other. Oh no, I it like would be all it, of them so much. There would be miscommunication, of course, at first, because that's the okay. very essence of the film. Which, <laughs> I'll be honest, I had a chance to see it up on the big screen here. We uh, for the draft house, we do Terror Tuesday, and it was one of those films where you know you when you need that laugh, it just works. And then when everyone else is laughing, and you hear people laughing at the little things that you only you think you're the only one that notices, it just ah, oh, it's healing. It's so good. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm curious how that would work because Tucker and Dale is mostly just sort of everything sort of accidental around them, mm-hmm. where everything with Val and Earl is a little more purposeful. So I'm, I'm not sure how that would work, but I mean, I wouldn't kick it out of bed, that's for sure. <laughs> well, let's go back a little bit about Tremors, and I think that's one thing why maybe some of the sequels haven't grabbed as many people. Grabbed? Uh. Haven't grabbed as many people as, like, should. I think because while... The more grosser, the better when it comes to Michael Gross. I mean, and I love that, especially in the later films, the dynamic between Michael Gross and, and Jamie Kennedy. There are no Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon. And I think that's the glue that really cemented this entire franchise, aside from the cool graboids and Michael Gross. But um, they did phenomenal as like everyday Joe Schmoes. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's an unlikely franchise, but. One I definitely need, I guess, to continue to explore. Um, now, I want to make sure we give enough time to the other films. So, final thoughts on Tremors before we go over into the madcap world of one Joe Dante. I mean, it's a movie that starts off with Kevin Bacon scratching his ass and ends with Raven <laughs> McIntyre singing over credits. Um, wow. So, I don't know how you get you get better than that. Um, but I think Gremlins 2 is, is here to give it a run for its money. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a tough one. Um... I, I give Tremors a lot of credit for, at least in 1990, being original. Mm-hmm. Um, because this was the start of the franchise at the time. There was nothing like it. And so I, I give it a lot of credit for that. Well, from a, a movie that is about giant monsters to a film that is about mini monsters and kind of an unlikely uh, Hateful Eight uh, entry here, but we have Joe Dante's Gremlins 2, which... My goodness. Our first animated movie. Yeah, very much so. (laughs) Good Lord. So much to talk about this film. Let's go ahead and start talking some of the rules here. In fact, let's break these rules down. So Patrick Heather. We haven't talked about Gremlins 2 yet. Yeah, I know. I know. That's what we're going to. Yeah. No, no, no. I was just throwing puns with rules and breaking up. Not the criteria yet. Not the criteria yet. Okay. Okay. We got a lot to get through. So yeah. Heather, Patrick, thoughts on Gremlins 2? Uh, It rules. (laughs) Um, no, it's it's interesting because I know for so long, you know, a lot of folks have like, you know, there's sort of that Gremlins versus Gremlins 2, uh, you know, like, oh, Gremlins 2 is way better than Gremlins. Yep. I'm, a, I'm sort of a why not both person because I think both films work really well on their own merits. I mean, clearly, when you watch it now, you're just you can see because, I, you know, there's obviously the story of how, you know, Joe Dante didn't really want to do the sequel. Um, Warner Brothers like, no, we really need this. We want to do this. You know, obviously they wanted merchandising and to make, a, you know, a shit ton of money off of Gizmo and all these creatures and things like that. Um, and so basically it was, you know, and this is something I learned from a lot of different discussions with different effects artists. But it was a, it was basically a blank check show where they did anything and everything that they wanted. 
And you can huh. just literally see Joe Dante throwing money at every single scene <laughs> in this movie, where it's so ridiculous the amount of money that he cost Warner Brothers for this movie. Um, but I mean, I loved. I got the first time I saw it was actually at the drive-in, um, and which makes the real break <laughs> moment like work so amazingly well. And for me, at 12 years old, sitting at the drive-in watching Gremlins 2, and all of a sudden Hulk Hogan. At that point, who wasn't, you know, outed as a completely terrible, racist, horrible person, <laughs> um, you know, so I'm still, you know, Hulk Hogan is still this god in my eyes. And all of a sudden, Hulk Hogan jumps up in the middle of, the, of my screen. Like, I literally screamed and my mom just looked at me. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm having, you know, as a kid, you're I'm 12. I'm having a moment. Um I love Gremlins 2. I, I I think in some ways I, I I almost love Gremlins 2 more than the first one. Like I yes. love Gremlins the original. Um, it's it's sort of like one of my kept you know it's it's I revisit it every Christmas. Yep. Sometimes I yep. pop it in different times. Um, but I think Gremlins 2 is so audacious and so ridiculous and so on the cusp of how things were changing, especially mm. like in society, mm. um, that it's. It's incredibly smart. It's, I would argue, it's almost ahead of its time in a lot of ways. Yeah. In the amount, you know, the first Gremlins is obviously known for the the brilliant effects that Chris Wallace and his team did, um, and then to have somebody like Rick Baker come in and just go like have his team, which was like a hundred and some odd people deep, um, just go completely bananas with these creatures and really get to sort of branch out in big ways. I it's it's one of my favorite movies of 1990. Yeah, Gremlins 2 is amazing. Uh, Joe Dante is is one of my favorite directors, maybe my second favorite director, and I would argue that Gremlins 2 is the single most Joe Dante movie ever made. <laughs> uh, it is his it is his id run amok on screen. And Heather, like you said, it's way ahead of its time. It literally predicted our current president. Yes. It yeah. is a movie with a lot to say. Um, I'm with you, Heather. I think both can coexist. I watch different movies for different moods. If I'm in one mood, I'll watch the original Gremlins. If I'm in another, I'll feel like watching Gremlins 2. It's almost like Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2, where it's like <laughs> I don't have to pit them against one another because they're completely different And depending on what kind of mood I'm in. Um, and I remember being at a panel years ago at Flashback. Heather, I think you were hosting. It was Zach Galligan. And someone in the audience mentioned Gremlins 2, and they did it like in sort of a derogatory way. It was sort oh, I, re of like, I remember that guy. I was ready to fight. <laughs> he said, "Well, that was funny because he said something <laughs> shitty." But well, you know, we all know that Gremlins 2 kind of sucks, but Gremlins 1 and blah blah blah. And he asked this question, and you could feel the entire the audience turn oh. on this guy. It got so tense in there because, like, what did this fucking guy just say about Gremlins 2? <laughs> I think we, we were like already, yep. yeah, I think collectively the whole room took their earrings off and they were ready. <laughs> yeah. right. I'm ready to throw down, too. <laughs> Let's go find that guy. <laughs> like Jane, Silent right Bob, yeah. here you're talking shit on Gremlins, too. Right? Drag him out in the sunlight, throw water on him. <laughs> Well, you mentioned, Patrick, it's pure Dante. It's 100% Dante. It is him just given the, just the, he's in a sandbox right now, yeah. playing with all these toys. Like, and just, they're like, here, make a live action cartoon and have fun. Well, and the fact that, I mean, it literally opens, it literally opens as a cartoon. <laughs> I mean, if that doesn't tell you the direction of the film, the fact that we got that great uh, Key and Peele skit based on the Gremlins 2 and the fact that it is just so crazy 
Is this a film that you guys, I mean, how many times have you been able to introduce this film to new people? Because this is a movie, a sequel to a well-known, you know, Gremlins was just a phenomenon. A lot of people always forget that a Gremlins 2 exists. Now, do you think it's because it was, what is it, like six years later, ultimately? Or is it just because it is such a weirdly maligned film that, I mean, there are still a lot of people that don't know that Gremlins 2 exists. Or they go, oh, yeah, I forgot that exists. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, I guess I know all the right people who know okay, that Gremlins that's... 2 exists. Because um, if you don't know Gremlins 2 doesn't, doesn't exist, I don't need you in my life. No, I'm just joking. Um, that's very mean. Um, I, I, you know, I think what's what's really sort of sets Gremlins 2 apart is almost in a way it's it's Joe Dante's love letter to horror throughout the years. If you really look at it, because obviously you have Christopher Lee in there. Um, playing Dr. Catheter, which is one of the best character <laughs> names ever right. um, for a mad scientist. But but there's also like all these little nods to different horror movies and iconic moments in, in genre storytelling. Like obviously you have Daffy on the top of the Empire State Building who's like, you know, trying to be King Kong. You've got um, the the Dr. Quater, Quatermass. I don't even know how, if that's how you say it, but there's a nod to Dr. Quatermass. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say that? Yes, that's how you say mm-hmm. that. Okay, fantastic. Uh, which obviously, you know, Corman and things like that because Dante came up under Corman. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the Daffy dentist scene with the Is It Safe? Because I'm safe? probably yes. the only 12 year old who's watching that movie who actually got the Marathon Man reference. No, you weren't. <laughs> no, you weren't. <laughs> Because, I mean, like, you, most kids weren't renting Marathon Man, you know, at a very young age. Um, the, you've got the Phantom of the Opera stuff, the I'm Melting with the Wicked Witch of the West. I mean, it just, it feels like such a love letter, not only to Dante's career at that point, but also all of these films that had preceded it. And it really, you you know, if, it just feels like if Joe, like Joe Dante was like, well, if you want me to do this, I'm going to do everything I want to do in this one movie. Um, and I, you know, and I know people sort of say it's, it's a little too madcap. Um, and maybe that's why it doesn't work for them. For me, it works exceedingly well because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, although I still, I, you know, it's weird, but I, I don't, I still don't love like the relationship between, like, I just feel like Billy and Kate, like, I just feel like they're kind of together, but I don't feel like they're together. They're together out of comfort and familiarity. Yeah, like I don't know. Um, I do like that she has like her own little like little speech again, and he's like, "No, no, honey, we don't have time for this. Let's move on." (laughs) Well, there's so many weird, crazy moments in there. Um, I'm gonna throw it out to the 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 the, the audience and everyone. What's your favorite kind of WTF moment? Because I've got two here. And what's your favorite gremlin? And even better yet, because. There are two moments, especially in my most recent rewatch, where I was just like, oh, my God, I always forget. But the music moments when Faith No More gets a little uh, blast to drop <laughs> with uh, Surprise You're Dead. And then Slayer, of all things, showing up in a Joe Dante movie. I'm just it always blows my mind. I was like, oh, my God, this is just pure brilliance. Uh, throw it out to you guys. Uh, favorite kind of what the F moment out there. I'll go on this one real quick. Um, my two favorite moments of Gremlins 2 by far. One, when he drinks the gargoyle serum, or when he drinks the bat serum and the sunblock, and he just shoots the bat signal in the wall, my 12-year-old brain exploded. I'm like, yes! (laughs) Batman lives in the Gremlins universe! And you're removed, eight from, yeah. And then he turns into one of those rad-ass gargoyles, and like, I want a gremlin gargoyle. (laughs) And the second one, 
I, I, it cracked me up then, and it cracks me up every time. The whole elevator scene, it's scary and it's tense because all these gremlin hands. But then, like, first of all, Daffy's like, third floor lingerie, right? And then, like, the, like you do in cartoons, right? And then finally, when she pushes the alarm, all the gremlins, eh, 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 cracks me up every time because. These people are in legitimate peril. I mean, the gremlins are literally killing and attacking people, but they're having so much fun. You can't help but have fun with these monsters. Yeah. Well, I would also I was I would also say like the uh, elevator scene almost has like that Evil Dead nod to it in a way where they like they grab her legs and mm-hmm. her arms, and you're like, oh my god, are they doing this scene in a kids movie? <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> You know, obviously, it, it doesn't go nearly as far as it does in Evil Dead, but I was like, oh, Joe Dante, you cheeky bastard. Um, I don't even know how to pick what is sort of my favorite what to, fu- you know, WTF moment because, I mean, ultimately, it comes down to the fact that the movie ends with, with uh, oh, my God, I'm totally Robert Robert Picardo. Like, Robert Picardo basically pontificating, like, would I have sex with a gremlin? I think I'm going to. Yeah, I think this is okay. Um, and that's a pretty bold move to sort of end on. Um, but I, I love all of the gremlins in this. I love Brain. Daffy, I swear to God, I was rewatching this last night, and I was laughing like a freaking maniac. Like, him with his stupid giggle and his crazy eyes. I seriously, when I see that damn gremlin, I turn into a kid again. Like, I just lose my shit. Um... It's I I think actually the the spider yes. um is actually more ter- the spider gremlin is more terrifying than the spider at the end of the it miniseries which is saying a lot <laughs> um, yeah. because that thing was ridiculous and somehow this the spider gremlin ends up being completely horrifying um I, just because of like sort of the things that I've known from the stuff that I've done I can kind of break down who did some of the more notable gremlins um. Because, like, Brain Gremlin was also a a favorite of mine because I just loved how articulate he was. And it really took a lot to get his mouth to move the way that it did because they didn't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was basically uh, Norman Cabrera and Mark Satrakian. And they had to work a lot because they had to basically put a whole ton of extra servos and things in there to get that thing to work the way it did. Um, Steve Wang was the guy who basically he did Mohawk and he did the Spider Gremlin um, basically because... Rick Baker really wanted to have a black uh, gremlin in there. Um, he just thought it would look really cool, do something different to kind of set it apart from the original. So that was kind of how that came about. Uh, Bart Mixon, who actually also the same very same year did uh, Pennywise for the It miniseries, he, he was in charge of Daffy, and he actually, the corn cob sequence was all his idea. Um, <laughs> because they basically had the mantra of the original gremlins where they were like, okay, make a list of what you want to see gremlins do, and let's figure out what we can and can't do. Because um, I think at some point there was actually supposed to be a really fat gremlin, and that just didn't work out, like, logistics-wise. Um, Gabe Bartalos was in charge of the veggie gremlin. Uh, Matt Rose, who sadly passed away a few years ago, uh, he actually did the redesign for Gizmo. Uh, and he also did Lenny. Um, Mike Elizalde worked on the miniature team um, over at Mark Stetson's studio, and he also did a bunch of the puppeteering. And he's gone on to basically start his own studio and do Hellboy and things like that. Um, Joey Orozco, basically, um, who created the uh, Stegosaurus for Jurassic Park, he basically started off in the mold department for Gremlins 2 and went on to do painting and puppeteering. And they probably made upwards of like 700 Gremlins for this movie. Wow. 
Yeah, they worked for the 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 original team was started on the movie sixteen or eighteen months before the movie. Um, you know, they had eighteen months basically to do all this stuff, and then people came in around like the fourteen month mark. So it was it was really the biggest show in Hollywood at the time. But if you look at like the list of people who worked on it, like you had so many people who were up and coming, like Aaron Kruger Mikash, who's like now an Emmy award winning you know special effects artist, you know doing stuff with American Horror Story. She worked in the mold department on that mm. movie. Like everybody was in that movie, um, you know. So I, I think for me, like it's just I love all of them. Like I can't get enough of them. I I love the fact that they just this movie allowed them to really take that idea from the first movie where like they could be a little bit different personality wise, but mm. then just go completely bananas with it. Um, but I do think because I'm sort of a, a, a geek over Phantom of the Opera stuff, I do think the Phantom of the Opera moment is pretty fantastic, too. So good. So good. Patrick. I don't have just one. Honestly, when you ask the question, the thing that springs to mind, the thing that makes me laugh the hardest is the most base uh, joke in the movie, which is just Daniel Clamp slipping on all the shit at the very end of the movie when he comes <laughs> running in. It's like, I'm okay. I'm okay. It just cracks me up that there's this gremlin goo everywhere, and then they're like, wouldn't it be funny if someone fell down in it? Well, yes, it would, and it never fails to make me laugh. But I like that he's leading the guys. Like the SWAT he's leading team. This, this SWAT right, team guys. Right. Like he, like that's who this guy is. I mean, obviously, we could go into discussion as to where we are today, but right. that's not nearly as well, fun. And it's funny. Um, well, it's, I would say it, he actually, his Glover's performance in here, he kind of wins me over strangely. As bad as he is, ultimately, I'm still kind of like, it. I ultimately, I think that is based on Glover's performance. Because he's Donald Glover, because he's awesome. Yeah. He's quite no, good. he's amazing. Yeah. You mean John Glover? John Glover, yeah. John Glover. <laughs> wow, like what is... Glover? I was like... <laughs> Wow, he I played am, one of the gremlins. Yeah, well, hey, I, I fucked up with uh, Gerald McGrady. I might as well. <laughs> and keeping it consistent. Well, as much as we love no, both of the. No, oh, no, 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 no. One more question. Oh, okay, before we find out who is going to win in the hypothetical fight of Tremors versus Gremlins 2, who would win in a fight between Tremors and Gremlins? It's night, it's imperfection. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, you got. Let's, gremlin- say, let's say you got. Let's say you got six hundred gremlin <laughs> versus three graboids. Gremlins uh. are schemers, so you know it depends on what is around in their environment. Are they in perfection at this point? Mm-hmm. Oh goodness! Well, let's just say they're in not quite desolate perfection, but a suburb of perfection. Because I think without anything at their disposal, man, they're they got gonna- a whole town. Yeah, but I, they're just gremlins without without some technology to adapt to 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 have shenanigans with. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I think that from beneath you they devour. I think Trem, tr- uh, the graboids are just going to grab each and every single one of them. But they're so tiny. I don't feel like they would know that they're walking around. <laughs> I don't know. Gremlins are pretty smart. I think ultimately, if they knew that there was these giant worms, they'd figure out a way to to win them. Basically, you know win the fight i don't know that's a that's a toughie uh is brain gremlin there because he's he's obviously the mastermind behind everything mm, yeah let's just say that's the cast of gremlins too minus oh, then I, I'm minus a minus gremlin. electricity okay. minus okay. electricity gremlin oh he was so cool though yeah um yeah i'm gonna give it to the gremlins i think i think the gremlins would figure out a way to sort of mess with the the graboids because graboids are big dumb worms like what are they gonna do all they can do is burrow <laughs> mm-hmm 
They're very limited. Into your heart. <laughs> yes, they can burrow into your heart, and they have. I don't know. I'm going graboids. Okay. Oh man, we have a tie on that one. I'm, well, go, I'm going. I'm uh, going with uh, the tiebreaker there. I'm going to go eventually gremlins, mm-hmm. but they're going to be decimated. <laughs> like it's going to be a hard, hard, hard fight. And at the end, it's going to be finally like the graboids. You just see a graboid shoot off the mountain with like 35 gremlins on it, just like going to town on it. And there's like three gremlins left and they win. That's poetic. I like that. I like that. Well, ultimately, we have the <laughs> physical matchup. And then, of course, we have the one where we have our little bit of criteria here. And in the round of the Hateful Eight, the first little bit that we look at, we get a little bit more abstract. And I pose a question. I have you guys to create like a definition or even like an aesthetic of what horror was like in the year of 1990. And then based on that definition, which of the film better reflects that? So I'm going to throw it out to our guests here, uh, Heather and Patrick, uh, Tell us your definition, aesthetic, what have you, and then your po- and then your vote on that. Heather, you can go first. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> You're so kind. Um, I think for me, because 19, it was very much sort of a turning point for the genre, um, or genre, as, as Alex Trebex would say. Um, so you have movies, you know, obviously you have movies like Nightbreed. You've got movies like Texas Chainsaw 3. Um class of 99 you know you guys mentioned frankenhooker earlier total recall robocop 2 um dark man and i you know i feel like 90 was sort of the turning point because obviously we were sort of coming off of the heyday of the 80s um so you had to find ways to sort of do things differently um because you know what is what good is a genre if it isn't moving forward um, and I think when you look at the films of, of 1990, you know, I mean, for better or for worse, because there, there are some some stinkas in there, um, <laughs> you know, sorry, graveyard shift. Um, but I, I think for me, like when you're going into a new decade, you want something that's sort of bold. You want something that's sort of audacious. Um, you want something that's sort of forward thinking. And I don't know. I feel like. I'm so going to get broken up over this because uh, Brian's going to find out that I picked this. But I think for me, when you're looking at something that sort of sets a tone for where you want the genre to go, I kind of feel like it's Gremlins 2. All right. We got one for Gremlins 2. Uh, throwing that back out to you, Patrick. I am going to go the other way just because not to not to be contrarian, but um <laughs> I would say Tremors for part of the reason that Heather was saying that that 1990 being sort of a reset. There were still a lot of sequels in 1990 because we were still kind of playing out the remainder of the 80s. And horror is a genre that's always been, or or as Alex Trebek would say, what is it, Heather? Genre. <laughs> I love when he says genre, genre on, on Jeopardy. I get really excited because he's like, genre. He's like, he gets very frustrated on you there. Um. <laughs> it's always, you know, there's always been a lot of uh, sequels, but 1990 being kind of a reset year and some of the most interesting and exciting movies for me that year are the ones that do feel um, like original visions, uh, something like Nightbreed, something like Hardware. Mm-hmm. And so in keeping with that, I got to go with Tremors. Totally works. Totally works. Genius. 
I think if we're looking at, I'm, I'm, I'm attacking at this at two fronts. The first front is just looks and aesthetics alone. If we're looking at aesthetics, um, tremors can be at any time. You know, 80s, 90s, late, even late 70s. Gremlins 2, aesthetic-wise, is firmly planted in the 90s. Um, with the advent of cable TV, cooking shows, even the outfits, the tour guide that Phoebe Cates is wearing with yeah. the big hat. And then also... And uh, the overall like look and feel of where we're going for, um, Tremors Two is a fantastic movie. It's a wonderful movie. It's a love letter to older horror movies, the old fifties monster movies. As were Gremlins Two, it's taking something and making it bigger and moving it forward and getting bigger and bolder. So as something that's moving forward, as opposed to something that's looking back, I'm gonna go with Gremlins Two. Totally works. Totally works. And. We've touched upon it before, <clears throat> and the biggest thing I've seen when we were talking about like 1980, 1990, th- these are transitional years ultimately, and there's still the veneer of the previous decade on them, and ultimately, there were at least 16 sequels in the year of 1990, and again, as Patrick said, some good, some bad. Some of these franchises are clinging to just everything they can and trying to milk everything they can out of their franchise, and then some of them, like Gremlins 2, are coming out, you know, are fresh for the most part. So if I'm going to go with a sequelitis definition here, although Tremors did indeed launch sequels, I can't see any of those sequels being as strong as Gremlins 2. So my vote is going to go with Gremlins 2. Now, ultimately, it is the year 2020. These films came out in 1990. 30 years later, we're still talking so passionately about them. And the question now is this. 30 years from now, when we're all in the um, the horror uh, you know, nursing homes and doing what they, whatever kind of podcasting we are at that point. Which of these two films are we still talking about thirty years later? Oh, I mean, I'd hope both. Ultimately, <laughs> I mean, I think the one thing that I, you know, because you mentioned, you know, Gremlins two kind of has sort of fallen off the radar. I think the one thing that I do appreciate about Tremors is that there always seems to be like this wave of love that comes around every few years. Um. Because a few years ago, there was the book that came out, um, totally blanking on who wrote it. So if he's listening, I apologize. Um, I actually bought it for Brian for Christmas, and I am nowhere near that book, so I can't look it up because um, I'm a jerk. But there's like it was like a, like a return to perfection, I think, was the book title. And that like all of a sudden, when the book came out, like it seemed like there was a really fun, like new wave of Tremors fans that kind of emerged from that. Um, so I do think in terms of the timelessness of it, I do think Tremors endures in that way. Um, because it, it is a movie like that you could, you know, if you told me this movie was made in the 80s, I'd believe you because it very much is on that cusp. Um, it's also a movie that if you told me it was made in the 70s, I'd be like, yeah, okay, I, I buy that too. Um, so yeah, I do think in 30 years, Tremors is the one that people... That'll, it'll it'll still be enduring. I don't think that necessarily that means Gremlins 2 won't be. Right. Um, but I do think that there's something where, like, you know, Patrick's kids could show their kids tremors. You know what I mean? Like, yep. and that's like a movie that's like still going to be enjoyed 30 years later. Absolutely. Are I, you liking that I'm, I'm making plans for your kids already? I am. I appreciate it. I don't have kids. I can't do it for myself. Like, what am I going to, you know. My, my pretend kids who have pretend kids in the future. No, but I just see, you know, because you've instilled a love of, of movies in your kids. Like, I could see that, like, in in decades to come, you know, old pa- old Papa Bromley comes over and <laughs> Charlie's showing his kids tremors. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 
My we're kids have you, seen. We're gonna call you Papa Bromley from Papa now Bromley? on too. Please, please do. Um, yes. My kids have seen Gremlins two, but I have not shown them Gremlins because of the Santa Claus monologue. Uh, oh, good call. Yeah. Little, yeah. little intense. Well, I just my daughter don't want to. Don't want to. Yeah. yeah. I, don't want, I, don't want to I still Gremlins believe in Santa Claus. Oh boy. So which so Patrick, which of these two films are you going to be talking about thirty years from now? Yeah, I, I I still think it's Tremors. I think Gremlins Two is amazing, but I think Gremlins Two casts a slightly narrower net in terms of who it appeals to, who its fan base is. I think it's more of a cultish movie than Tremors is. I think Tremors has, as you guys pointed out, because of its sort of timelessness. I think it's a movie that will endure, and and Gremlins Two will as well, but more as a product of its time. As I was so resoundingly outvoted on the last question it is a product of its time whereas tremors uh is not so yeah. i think tremors is still going to be the movie that we're talking about genius this one's probably the hardest category for me i was just glad we don't have the head and the heart because like <laughs> i grew up having the gremlins 2 trading cards and everything but what we're going to be talking about 30 years from now like you said, Heather, I hope we're talking about both. I really do. And I think we will be talking about both. I think a lot of horror fans are going to be talking about Tremors. And like when we were hitting Tremors 12, return, return to perfection. <laughs> but I think we're going to get more people looking and discovering it every single year of Gremlins 2 because of Gremlins. It is a family Christmas holiday classic and people are going to reverse engineer. Like, oh, there's a Gremlins too? And I think as long as Gremlins is still on constant rotation at Christmas, I think we're, every year we're going to get more people finding Gremlins too. And there's a Gremlins movie coming out this year. It's an animated one. So I think Gremlins 2 is going to have a little bit more legs because of part one. Well, and something that I can't believe we really haven't talked about so far is the fact that both of these films are PG-13, which ultimately makes them really good gateway horror films, uh, films for the normies, so to speak. But uh, never underestimate the power of having one of the all-time big movie stars in Hollywood in your film that, again, we all love Christopher Lee, we all love Robert Picardo, we all love Dick Miller. But, you know, the casual people we love Kevin Bacon, love Kevin Bacon. And guess what? I love Kevin Bacon as well. I just think there's something because of that. And the fact that it is such a good monster movie, then you add bacon to it. And again, if you add bacon, it just makes everything better. Mm -hmm. And in this case, because of that, I ultimately think we're still going to be talking about Tremors 30 years from now. Now, here's where it gets interesting, ladies and gentlemen, Holy because shit! we do have a tie. And as we set up uh, with our rules here, if we have a tie in the Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament, that means we have to go to the cover of a certain magazine. What is that, genius? On the cover of the old thing, go, gonna buy a copy for my brother, gonna watch some movies on Shutter. Gonna see my gruesome face on the cover of the old Fango. And if we do indeed go to the cover of the classic Fangoria, Gremlins 2 has one of the great Fangoria covers featuring the aforementioned uh, Gay Bartolis vegetable gremlin. There's um, no gremlin? There's no tremors? On not until the later sequels. They got a little bit of the film strip love. They didn't get the main cover. Uh, and because of that, because of the importance of the Fangoria cover, yes! Gremlins 2 is making its way into the round of the Frightful Four to represent the year of 1990. 
And this one might leave us up, you know, some of us up. People are pissed. I guarantee people some are people pissed are pissed right now. <laughs> I will so say you, that. You didn't, you didn't need us for any of this. <laughs> <laughs> you just you, needed the Fangoria cover. You, no, it, just, <laughs> a magazine cover decided. Well, it is, you know, well, you know, ultimately, we, we uh, you know what? You guys are the Indiana Jones, sadly, to our bad guys. Because if you always go back and watch the original Raiders of the Lost Ark, even if Indy eventually, there's anything you they guys would have can... wiped themselves out by finding the Ark, right? <laughs> so ultimately, you guys are our, our true heroes, and we couldn't have got here without you guys. Um, Heather Wixon, <laughs> Patrick Bromley, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. With this, this is always a lot of fun. Um, again, where can our listeners find you out? All on on the social media. Um, yeah, I'm over at the Horror Chick on Twitter, and of course, you can find all my news and interviews and stuff like that over at DailyDead.com. I'm at fthismovie.com uh, and at Patrick Bromley on Twitter, and you can hear me and Heather on Corpse Club. And you guys are so much more better than just a magazine cover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have. I don't know. I don't know if I can compete with Fangoria movie magazine covers, though. Yes. There's some pretty good ones out there. Oh, indeed, indeed. Well, and whether you are writing in Fangoria or on the cover, uh, it does make a difference ultimately. But uh, we've got from for 1980, we have Friday the 13th. Now in 1990, we have Gremlins 2, and then next year, uh, excuse me, I should say, next week we're going to the year 2000. The year 2000. So what film will be joining those? And get get used to that. Oh, yeah, it's going to be over (laughs) under that is really over. So next Monday, we're going to get into that. And until that time, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we'll see you in your dreams. (laughs) 